Hello everyone and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. We're not in season right now. No, We're this is a uh... unseasonably good. <laughs> like a fruit. But we will be super seasoned. We <laughs> definitely not salty though. I'm Andrea and my name is Tom. And we are the co-hosts of The Other Castle podcast. This is a show where we break down the plot, lore and more behind video games. So, whatever titles you see in our roster of games we've covered, we talk about the production, we talk about the creators, we talk about the performers, and then we actually talk about what happens in the game. So, you get everything you could possibly need to know about that title all at your fingertips with this very podcast. Yes, yeah, so welcome to the show if this is your first time listening. And for long-time listeners, this might look like a familiar episode. Because <laughs> we did it before. However, much like the game itself, we're remaking it. From the ground up, baby. This is our PS5 episode right. of The Last of Us Part 1. We did cover this, God, how many years ago? Ages ago. I think Ages it was a ago? season two game. I think it was prior to the release of The Last of Us Part 2. Correct. So that dates it immediately. <laughs> but we are in the 10-year anniversary of The Last of Us Part 1, so fuck it. Let's fucking roll. Yeah, and we're redoing it just because we changed the format of the show. It's a much better show now, and we just wanted to bring that version to this game because this game deserves it. Yeah, we didn't do a great job with the first one, and <laughs> this one I am a lot more confident in. I didn't play The Last of Us when we recorded the first time to do this game, and now I've played it more times than you. Yeah, that's true. You love this game so <laughs> I much. I do. Oh, I really do. I really, really do. But before we get into that, I want to say that if you also love The Last of Us, you can join our Discord and chat about this. You can um actually us if I fuck anything up. Or <laughs> you know what? If you have some really spicy Joel memes, I would love to see them. Yeah, and that's not the only way that you can join us. We stream on Twitch every Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Yeah, and that's twitch.tv slash theothercastlepodcast, but the link to our Discord and the link to our Twitch is all down below. We're also saying that to say, you know, this is not a usual episode for us. We usually do seasons because these games take forever to do. We have season seven coming up, but in the interim, we wanted to keep you guys, you have something to hang on to <laughs> while we work on finishing out the games for season seven. So this is our little band-aid to help you out. The other way you can keep listening to us is if you join our Patreon as well, because we do drop monthly episodes over there. We did cover the Last of Us Left Behind DLC on there, so if you're like, hey, there's more to this game than just what you're covering, I know, babe. I did it. <laughs> I also talked about the American Dreams comics on that, so there is all sorts of stuff there. We covered Tetris. That was really fun. That was super fun. Lots of fun stuff, yeah. So those are other ways you can get into it, but if you're here just for Last of Us, babe, I got you. Excellent, because, yeah, this game, and now we also have the TV series to go off of as oh, well, yeah. and it is such a fun game. I mean, the gameplay for me has not always been my favorite aspect, but the story behind it is so beautiful. It's incredibly well written. Absolutely. You know, before I get into this, I do want to say this might be a spicy take, whatever. I do like the sequel better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that's not to disparage this title. This is very fun. I'm Playing, I'm almost done, actually. I just picked it up while I was working on this episode. I was like, I just got to see what the PS5 one has to offer because we played the 2014 remaster, mm -hmm. which came out a year after its original release. And now the remake that just came out and kind of had an accompanying PC release. The PS5 is really pretty, but oh, damn, if Last of Us Part 2 isn't a little prettier. Yeah, still. Yeah. And maybe it's just because they have so many aquarium pieces and I love water shit. But <laughs> this did make me want to play two more. But that's all aside the point. The Last of Us Part One 
or just The Last of Us as it was originally launched because they didn't know this would be a franchise. Right. Was released on June 14th, 2013, a decade ago. Already a decade? Does that make you feel old as fuck? So quickly. <laughs> on PS3. And the world has collectively lost its shit over the story ever since. It's true. I mean, just from every aspect of it down to its controversial ending. Right. And controversial beginning of two and right. every piece of controversy since then. <laughs> now, we know the game has since been released across PS4 and PS5 as well and PC, but I say that with an asterisk because there were some issues with the PC port upon launch, but that's not, that's not what we're covering. We're not going to focus on the negatives. And The Last of Us has since been rebranded as The Last of Us Part 1 to account for the 2020 sequel, which is just aptly titled The Last of Us Part 2. That makes sense to kind of retcon the name in that way, though. Yeah, and it made sense as they re-released it, so they're like, okay, here's, <laughs> here's what this shit is now. It's kind of the final version, too. It does feel like they're just kind of sprucing it up and being like, that's it, put the bow on it, we're done now. Yeah, Stop I don't working. think they should even touch it again. Right, like unless they need to update some ports or like throw it on PS6 in a couple of years, I think we're fine. I think so too. The story of The Last of Us starts in 2009, right after the launch of the second Uncharted game, which is Uncharted Among Thieves. Right after his second writing credit on a game, Neil Druckmann, who is the ND in Naughty Dog. Right. Like, let's talk about that symmetry right there. <laughs> started working on a new franchise. With no Neil Druckmann, we have no Last of Us. He is the living heart of The Last of Us. If you've followed anything about The Last of Us, aside from the very surface level marketing, you've seen Neil. Yeah. We would barely have Uncharted without Neil Druckmann, frankly. He is a genius, and Sony owes him the entire fucking world. He just cares about story and character so much. He does. He absolutely does. And he pushed them to really focus on that, and I think that's what's made all the difference. I agree, yeah. Neil is currently, and rightfully so, the co-president of Naughty Dog, and he did earn his way up there. He is not just a privileged boy who walked in. He, to your point, has worked and pushed everyone so hard to create great art, and he deserves the fucking world, and we are all very grateful for him. Yes, thank you, Neil. Now, Neil grew up in Tel Aviv, where he said he learned English through playing video games, which is Always such a cool story when you see that. Like, my mom learned English watching American TV before she lived in America. It was just so cool. Right. A lot of kids I knew, and I think I as well, kind of caught on to reading quickly because of video games. Like, I remember having a Game Boy and having to read text boxes and figuring it out. And that repetition made me help me learn to read, frankly, straight up. Yeah. And then there's also just the fact that on a lot of those, like the text would scroll out. And so it kind of mm -hmm. challenged you to read quicker and stuff yeah. like that too, you know? <laughs> I want to get to the fucking next part, but I need to know if I, they're warning me about anything right now. It was like that generation's version of skipping the cutscenes, Right. <laughs> just <laughs> skipping the text box. Right. The Druckmann family moved from Tel Aviv to Miami in the late 80s when Neil was like middle school aged. After high school, Neil went to college to study criminology for the sweetest reason. He wanted to be Batman? He wanted to be an FBI agent to get stories to write about in his future novels. Oh, okay. Isn't that the most tender shit you've ever heard? Yeah, especially like considering how far he goes, that's dreaming really small yeah. for where he ends up going. <laughs> considering he just wanted to be a novel writer and now he's the owner of one of the largest gaming franchises of our current generation. Yeah. It's hard to get your name out as an author, to be real. It would be very difficult. Straight up. And now he's got some writing credits on a TV show on HBO, so... 
go he, off, He's going to do all right. Yeah. <laughs> this kid's got a future. Yeah. <laughs> to help him get through college, he worked at a My Favorite Muffin store. Really? Yes. A store that I love. Yeah, I was going to say, you love My Favorite Muffin. <laughs> the fact that it's just called My Favorite Muffin and they're like, yeah, try me on it. Lean into it. Hell yeah. Years later, at GDC, which is Game Developers Conference, it's usually in San Francisco, Neil watched Jason Rubin do a presentation. Now, Rubin is the co-founder of Naughty Dog, okay, a future contemporary, and he's in the crowd watching him just discuss games. Neil was so moved after that presentation that he arranged a run-in with Ruben. <laughs> oh, so stalked him out a little bit and made sure that he was going to bump into him? That's your words. Okay. My words are, legally, he <laughs> happened to run into him later on the show floor, and he got Ruben's business card. Neil's perseverance and passion of like, I'm so excited about life, gave Ruben some faith in Neil and was like, this kid's got some chops. A little time goes by, they reconnect, and Jason Rubin asks Neil if he'd like to be an intern at Naughty Dog. Wow. An intern, bitch. He had to start all the way, literally at the bottom. Like, before entry level. Yeah. There's entry level, and then there's internships, which are right below entry level. Because the likelihood of getting paid at that point is little to none. Absolutely. Sometimes just college credit. Right. I never did an internship because that seems like a scam. It feels like it, but you know what? People I know that have done internships end up doing pretty well. Like Neil Druckmann, yeah. who officially joined the Naughty Dog family in 2004 as a programming intern. Wow. Just getting coffee. <laughs> Blows my mind. Now, back to The Last of Us development as we're caught up to Neil's trajectory in this company. After the full launch marketing campaign, the whole thing with Uncharted 2, the Naughty Dog team created two internal teams. One that was fully focused on Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, and one that Druckmann was actually going to lead with game director Bruce Straley on a new Jack and Daxter game. Oh, really? A Jack and Daxter after an Uncharted? That just feels kind of like... Childish? Womp, womp. Yeah. Well, but you know, as history tells us, that didn't last very long. Right. Because after some workshopping, they scrapped the entire idea for this Jack and Daxter to just start from scratch and do a new franchise. Okay, because I was like, I don't remember a Jack and Daxter after that, but maybe one snuck in there. <laughs> You're like, was it that bad? <laughs> Neil said that Naughty Dog's philosophy is rooted in letting people work on what they're passionate about and what they want to work on. They're like, if you have a fire, fucking go for it. Build it, yeah. Which is also how Neil became Neil. <laughs> he said that if it was only based on money and Naughty Dog was just here to grab cash, he'd be working on Crash Bandicoot 17 by now. That's a good point. I mean, they are still churning out Crash Bandicoots. They just recently did four. Right. But <laughs> oh, they, and Team Rumble yeah, got released. Yeah, Team Rumble's coming out and stuff like that. And they're trying to bring Crash back into like the swing of things. Yeah, you know, and after that beautiful nod in Last of Us Part 2 where they see a porn called Smash Brandy's Cooch, they right. really are like, we got to own this. And you know what? That's not even the best one. In Uncharted 4, you just play a level of Crash. That's true. They just broke the fourth wall wide open with that one. Yeah, which is fun. But it worked then. I hope they never do that again. Right. <laughs> and if you see anyone else do it, it's just going to feel like, oh, but this was already done before. You did this. Like, you don't have to make that your thing. Right. So anyway, but that does speak to how Naughty Dog gives a shit about its creatives and the content they're putting out and not just the dollar signs because 
They're absolutely right. We'd just be on so many different Crash Bandicoots. They'd be a Crash Bandicoot Fall Guys. We'd get, <laughs> you know, all this dumb shit. There'd be a Crash Bandicoot fucking Among Us clone of, like, Crash Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Deceive your friends. Shit like that. But alas, the team put their faith in creators and let Neil lead a team to go off on a new franchise and one that everyone on that team was really passionate about. And that's when we get into The Last of Us. The Last of Us has an incredible amount of inspiration across the board, and you can feel that when you play it. It mostly is a fresh take on zombies, yes. However, (laughs) they are infected with a fungus. They are not undead. I may say zombies here and there. It's mostly in passing. I know they're not zombies. Leave me alone. It's not that deep. I think they banned the word zombie from the set of the TV show as well. Oh, really? Yeah, you weren't allowed to say zombie or else uh, Neil would get upset about it. Good for them. Honestly, well, when you're at the level of making the TV show, he gets to be like, absolutely not. Don't say that shit to me. It just still feels like one of those things where we ignore the world of zombie literature. We ignore the world of zombie (laughs) like everything when we are actually in a zombie world. And it feels weird to not at least acknowledge it. There is no Frankenstein in this universe and (laughs) everything from there entirely. Druckmann has actually, to this point and to pivot, one of his influences for the core relationship between Joel and Ellie is, I don't know if you know this one. Ooh, I don't know what it is, no. Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba in Sin City. Really? That's the dynamic he was going for. Right, and for those who don't know, first of all, Watch Sin City. It is an iconic, like, borderline campy noir movie. It's an ensemble piece. It's very fun. The sequel's kind of ass, but damn if this didn't break some barriers in, what, 2005, 2006 when it came out? Yeah, the original Sin City is just a marvel, like, visually. Fully. Bruce Willis plays a cop with a bum ticker, which I remember him saying very viscerally in my head, (laughs) who has an affinity for a little girl that he saved many years ago. The cop is John Hartigan. The girl is Nancy Callahan. And before you go there, yes, there was a conscious effort to make it not as horny as Sin City. Right. Because it's called Sin City. That version's very horny. Yeah. But Naughty Dog was like, let's take the sex part out of this and create this relationship based on trust and caring for and, you know, a surrogate father and a girl who needs help but has grown up in a rough world. All this wonderful stuff. But if you do see any illusions there... Well, that's where it's from. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I get that. Joel is named after Joel Cohen, one of the Cohen brothers. Who's your favorite Cohen? Because mine is Sandy. Sandy Cohen yes. from the OC? Yes. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's a fair Cohen to life. <laughs> so with that core relationship set with a backdrop inspired by Night of the Living Dead, Neil set out to write something a lot darker and more grounded than Uncharted. Funny enough, the hardest mode in The Last of Us is called Grounded, so that's actually a better joke than you're all giving me credit for. (laughs) No, that's good. Thank you. As Druckmann worked on the script, he also realized he'd have to work really closely with the performers at this game's heart to, like, really make sure that that relationship sells. Because, you know, it's one thing to see a performance on a stage. It's another thing to see a performance in a movie. To see a performance hidden by levels of video game art and CGI, that's a performance you really got to... Not only sell to the cheap seats, but have a lot of tight nuances to create that humanity. He was like, holy shit, we got to tell a lot of story with a lot of really good acting. 
Well, that makes sense because you know you're going to be from the perspective of one of those characters at the very minimum. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to be playing as them, you need to really, really feel for them. Absolutely. So those performances have to be so much better than you would even actually see in a movie because you have to sell it because you have to believe that you would be doing that. Right. Yeah. There's even that level of being intimate of that's me. That's how I feel right now. Oh, it's beautiful. Especially if you're going to try to sell that character on doing something that the player might not agree with. Right. <laughs> Which is perhaps a little trickier in The Last of Us Part 2, where yeah. the protagonists you play as fight each other constantly. Yeah. <laughs> now, going through Neil's process of writing and developing the story and these emotional beats, he kind of came to realize he should direct this. It wasn't always the original plan. There was a different director that has shot some scenes that did make it into the final game. But as the project came together, it was clear he had the vision and the best understanding for this role and for what needs to be told within this story for it to be effective. Yeah, it's almost like how J.K. Rowling has always said, like, the world of Harry Potter has always been full and complete to her. And she just kind of is transcribing it for everybody. Mm. In that sense, Neil Druckmann really just fully understood the world and he's like I can't seem to get this out of somebody else I think I need to be the one like driving the ship on this yeah when Neil was officially crowned as the director of The Last of Us or promoted but we're gonna say crowned because that's funnier right the performer for Joel Troy Baker was the one to actually present him with his on-set director's chair oh I thought you were gonna say crown <laughs> he was crowned yeah <laughs> literally kneeled down I kneeled kneel down yes Neil did work with Bruce Straley, who's a longtime Naughty Dog director as well, but we all know where the heart blood of the game is. Right. Now, speaking of performers like Troy Baker, how can we not talk about the performers like Troy Baker? Right. Neil actually took some acting classes within his process of developing the story so he could better connect with the performers and talk to them within that actor language and connect with them on how they could best give these performances because it was so important to him, which I love. That's a really smart move on his part to do because you don't see a lot of directors that really can understand an actor. Yeah. And they kind of other themselves from them, you know, but the ones that can really get down into it. That's why you see some directors come from acting as well. You know, Ben mm -hmm. Affleck won a fucking directing Oscar. Right. You know, he's got a writing and directing Oscar. None of them for acting. No, but that's what you know him from is those Dunkin' Donut commercials and right. but <laughs> shit you, like that. He also pulls really great performances out of others because he can speak the same language as them. I agree. I think that's very fair. And, you know, one of the most popular directors, Ron Howard, was a child actor. Right. Who's only known this world and has lived and worked with so many fucking actors. He knows exactly how to connect with them and drive a great performance. Clint Eastwood, that's another one that came out of acting. Yeah, a lot of wonderful, wonderful directors come out of acting, and it's because they give a shit about what the actors are trying to do. I think Don't Worry Darling is better directed than Olivia's acting performance. Uh, I think <laughs> Olivia Wilde did a better job as a director than she did as a performer in that. Yeah. Straight up. But that's neither here nor there. Those who can't do, teach. So <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Joel Miller, the protagonist, is portrayed by Pedro Pascal. But in this version, we're talking about Troy Baker. Right. <laughs> Which I'm just being a cunt. Troy Baker is an incredible video game performer. And I'm not just saying voice actor because he does mocap in most things, including this. Yeah. I mean, if the Avatar kids get to be called actors, he is definitely an actor. Absolutely. You know Troy Baker from fucking everything. Joel, <laughs> Joel Miller is clearly one of his top build, but he's also 
Booker in Bioshock Infinite. So take a Bioshot, everyone. Oh, there it is. Yeah. We'll never forget to do the Bioshot. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll find a way, damn it. Not in every episode, but we'll, we'll work it in. In most. Bioshock Infinite, he plays Booker, who's, you know, a strange man who plays surrogate father to this little girl he's got to chase through a city. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Nope. On the other hand, he's also Sam Drake in Uncharted 4, where he plays a gunslinging, sweaty, naughty dog character. <laughs> Another one? Also, <laughs> probably not foreshadowing or related or anything at all. Right. So he's done a ton of stuff within Naughty Dog, without Naughty Dog. I'm very excited for Fort Solace coming up because that is kind of a space adventure with him and Roger Clark, who plays Arthur in Red Dead 2. And they will not release any goddamn footage. <laughs> Despite me begging silently. Yeah, you were so disappointed during all of the announcements these last few weeks because there's no E3. Yeah, we're coming out of Summer Games Fest and I got nothing on Fort Solace. I got nothing on GTA 6. I got nothing from Naughty Dog. Nothing at all. <sighs> Just sad. Just the uh, cancellation of one of their games, actually. Oh, shit? Well, yeah, the uh, Last of Us 2 multiplayer kind of got scrapped. That's right. That's correct. You're right. He's also not in that. Right. But Troy Baker... To this point, he's been across the board. He gets around. He's been nominated for awards, notably his work in voiceover and anime adaptations and some other video games. But the first award he won in his acting career was for The Last of Us. Wow, good for him. Yeah, him and Nolan North really just in these last couple of games from Naughty Dog, that's when everybody started to really be like, damn, you guys have been carrying this shit for a minute, haven't yeah. you? <laughs> you are the reason Naughty Dog has their lights on. Why don't we... Give you some flowers there. Yeah. He has since Last of Us done quite well in the awards department, but this was just the real big breakthrough. Like, I am a household fucking name now. And with that comes a little bit of a bigger ego, I'm sure. I don't know him like that, but good for him. <laughs> he's got a kid he has to pay for. Like, you know, he's got a son to send through college. Gotta get that bag. Get the bag, honey. To pair with Troy, Naughty Dog hired longtime actor and full-time Dungeons & Dragons star, Ashley Johnson. Oh, I love Ashley Johnson. Who doesn't? Oh, she's wonderful. Everybody saw her in the Avengers, the original one. Yes, for five seconds. Yeah, she was a waitress. Ashley's IMDb is insane, and she's been working for longer than I've been alive, which is an actual fact. Wow, she doesn't even look that old. Oh, she looks incredible for yeah. her. However old she is, she's either 30 or 40 years old. She's incredible. <laughs> Ashley has won so many awards for her performance in The Last of Us with back-to-back BAFTA wins for The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Left Behind DLC. Hell fucking yeah. That's great for her. And it proved that she could carry the entire series after that if she needed to. And she did. <laughs> she was actually the first person cast for The Last of Us as well. That's great. All of the performers in The Last of Us did both motion capture and vocal performances for the game, which isn't uncommon. You always have to do some ADR just right. to get some vocal tones correct. And there is a lot of footage of the actual creation of the game. So you can see the performers in their mocap suits side by side with whatever scene actually ended up in the game, which is so fun. They're all over YouTube. I don't even have to just type in mocap last of us. You will get so much content. It is delightful. Just some wonderful looking people in ping pong balls. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of hard to get those ping pong ball shots. They're not particularly flattering. So no. <laughs> having that content is rare. You know, all this hard work paid off all those... Long nights in ping pong ball suits all paid out because the first week this game came out, it sold over 1.3 million copies. God damn, that is so great. 
especially for a new franchise. Right? Like, yes, Grand Theft Auto V did a billion dollars in three days. It's not even the fifth Grand Theft Auto game. It's like (laughs) (laughs) there are so many, so much built up to that. You know, that absolutely incredible game, also one of my favorites of all time, deserved that billion dollars. But this is a brand new franchise. No one knew. Yeah, they just had the trust of Naughty Dog on its shoulders, and that's really it. That's it. Within the first five years of this game, it moved 17 million units, and that was only with PS3 and PS4. That's incredible. I know we waited until it came to PS4. Right, because they released it in 2013, and then in 2014, there was a remastered, so we were like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to play the less good version of this. Yeah, because it came out right at the end of the PS3's life cycle, really. Yeah, which, it happens. Yeah. The game has since sold millions and millions and millions more copies across each upgraded console generation, which typically gets a remaster with each upgrade. Recently, the rebuild of the game that I've just played had the team literally rebuilding The Last of Us Part 1 completely from the ground up rather than a remaster where you go in and you tweak things and upgrade them. Right. That is so much labor to go into, like... The fact that they have not made Last of Us 3, they're like, no, we're just going to completely redo the first one. (laughs) We're just going to keep chugging on this one, baby. But, you know, the hard work is paying off because it's bringing this game to more and more generations. And it's moving even more copies today, 10 years after its initial launch. And that's really been Neil Druckmann's goal from day one, was to try to get this story into as many hands as humanly possible. And that's also what led to the TV series. Right. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. The HBO series launched in early 2023 to immediate fanfare. People were obsessed. People loved it. Outside of the gaming community, people loved it. It became a crossover fan fanatic hit. Yeah. Which is awesome. It is basically heralded as the first quote-unquote good adaptation of a video game franchise. Sorry, Mortal Kombat. You know, Mortal Kombat was good. I think the first Sonic movie was pretty decent as well. Those were fun, but they're not... Great. True. This is great. This is a very big upgrade to it. And what I think is really important was that it was so close to the game. However, it left so many things for fans of the game to discover for themselves as well. Oh, absolutely. And just the brilliant casting of Pedro Pascal, America's daddy, (laughs) as a daddy figure. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, too. It's so good. And, you know, it's just. As many copies or units as Troy Baker moves, he'll never reach the level of daddy as Pedro Pascal. And Troy is an actual father. <laughs> and I am admittedly a Pedro Pascal fan bitch. Like, I stan, I fucking, I'm here for it. I watch those stupid videos on TikTok of him just dancing. <laughs> Brings me joy. You've watched his Saturday Night Live episode many times. There's just that one segment where he comes out of the coma and he's talking with the mush mouth. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it changed my brain chemistry where I'm like, this is fucking peak comedy. <laughs> him speaking with a slightly funny accent. But then there's also the amazing Bella Ramsey as Ellie. They are brilliant. They are such a great Ellie. And even Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker have gone on to be like, this is perfect casting for both of them. You guys fucking nailed this shit. Yeah, most definitely. I I love them both. They have also the most amazing relationship you can tell from all their red carpet and all their press that they're doing. They're just super friends with each other. And that's what they need from their Ellie and Joel. And they came up on Game of Thrones together. They didn't. I don't even think they interacted. Right. But they have the same experience of being on this wild HBO adventure prior to this wild HBO adventure. 
Yeah, I think HBO has like a stable of actors that they really <laughs> love reusing. Yeah. And it's totally fine. They have a solid stable. Absolutely. And creators just in general. But True, too. That's actually how The Last of Us TV show got made. Do you know the story of how it got made? Yeah. So Craig Mazin, he is the co-showrunner for the TV series. And so he played Last of Us. He absolutely loved it. He just called up Neil Druckmann's like, let's do lunch, you know, as they do. <laughs> Very L.A. Super L.A. Now, Craig Mazin had just done the TV show Chernobyl, which won all the awards and all the accolades. And so HBO was basically like, yeah, like check. <laughs> whatever you want to do next is your project. And so he sat down with Neil and he, Neil's like, so how do we do this as a TV show? And Craig says, we walk across the street to HBO and I say, this is the next show I want to do. And, and the rest is history. Yeah, kids. literally how the entire show came to be. And so <laughs> that's how lucky we are was that these two just kind of came together. And yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it was actually Shannon Woodward who plays Dina in Last of Us Part 2 who introduced the two of them because she was a part of that HBO stable that I was talking about earlier having starred in Westworld. Bless her. What right. the fuck? Are you serious? Yeah, she was like, oh shit. After she met Neil and then after she met Craig, she was like, you guys would get along so fucking well. You guys need to be friends. And she completely introduce them to each other that way i hope they get for like four <laughs> percent or something you know she deserves so much for everything she's done neil's apprehension i understand because this was in development hell as a movie with sam raimi helming it for a long time hmm. and it was just trapped in production hell but that's so fucking cool that it pivoted to a tv show i love the show i think it's wonderful it's not a perfect show but it's a very 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 good show and Sam Raimi could have brought a lot to it, but I don't think you can tell the full story in two hours. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think it might be a little hammy with Raimi. A little bit. Yeah, the cordyceps would probably be a little bit cheesier. Where would Bruce Campbell show up in The Last of Us movie? Because <laughs> you know Bruce Campbell has to show up legally in every Sam Raimi movie. Oh, he would be Bill. Oh, that's a good Bill. I do love Nick Offerman's Bill. I am fully on that team of... That is a beautiful script. It is beautifully executed, and it's absolutely lovely. It's a great pivot from what we see, which I will get into, obviously. But you're right, Bruce Campbell would be Bill. That episode made Steven Spielberg call Neil Druckmann and say, good work. Holy shit, really? Yeah. God damn. Oh, yeah. No, that episode really just kind of changed lives for a lot of people. <laughs> and Neil started as an intern. Right. <laughs> Everyone, a muffin-slinging intern. Now, the legacy of The Last of Us has started countless handmade Etsy listings, totems, tattoos, fanfic, comic, cosplay, fan videos that are all over YouTube. There's a whole world of people creating content in this outside of Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. Right. We've covered The Last of Us Left Behind DLC on our Patreon. We've covered the sequel a couple seasons ago on our main show. And to follow suit with Naughty Dog, we're going to rebuild our episode on The Last of Us Part 1 from the ground up. This is The Last of Us Part 1. The game starts on Outbreak Day, which is September 26, 2013. In the HBO series, Outbreak Day is September 26, 2003. <laughs> I'll throw that out there before anyone tries to catch me on it. Yeah, they unnecessarily did that, I think. I feel like they just wanted to make it this year for the future part, but like... Yeah. Oh, they didn't want to confuse anyone. They're like, we need to get people to buy into a fungus, <laughs> so let's not fuck them up with dates, you know? Totally. The game opens with a Naughty Dog game title card, and we see Sarah Miller asleep on a couch. She's this small, blonde, 12-year-old girl in her jammy jams who's played by Hannah Hayes who was only 11 years old when she booked and did this job. Wow. And she fucking kills it. <laughs> well, she has to carry the entire prologue. Yeah. 
It's late at night, and Joel Miller comes in the house while he's on the phone telling someone named Tommy that he can't lose this job. This wakes Sarah up as Joel kind of flops down on the couch next to her. He asks why she's still up, and she says, It's still today. And she hands him a small box and says it's for your birthday. Aww. Today, September 26, 2013, is Joel's birthday. Happy birthday, Joel. Joel's a Libra. It's debatable how old he is, but lore in the game is that he's turning 29. I had always felt that it was 29. Really? You had that gut feeling. Yeah, he looks 29. In the show, it says that he's turning 36. Oh, damn, really? (laughs) To make him more of a mature dad, because if you do the math, Joel had Sarah at 17 in the game, making him a bit of a (laughs) fuckboy. You know, there's there's not a lot of love for the teen dads out there, but if you guys love teen dads, you're going to love The Last of Us. Right. Or something. I don't know. Joel opens the box to find a watch. Sarah asks if he likes it. Joel puts it on and is like, hey, it's broken. But he's just giving her a hard time. <laughs> he asks how she could afford it, and she says, drugs. I sell hardcore drugs. They're from Texas. I wasn't being rude. Right. <laughs> Sarah- it just feels like a bit of an older joke for Sarah to say, to be real. For a 12-year-old? Yeah. She's got a single dad. She's a latchkey kid. She's in downtown Austin. You know, she's not like sheltered. She does have a dumbass for an uncle. <laughs> we'll meet him later. I forgot how much we rag on Tommy in, <laughs> in the second game. <sighs> Sarah falls back asleep on the couch and Joel scoops her up and walks her upstairs to her bedroom. I didn't catch this line and I don't know if it's in the final cut, but in one take of the shot, Joel scoops up Sarah to put her back to bed. And Troy Baker called her baby girl. This was an improv line. And Neil Druckmann stopped to ask Troy, hey, wait, what did you just call her? Troy said, I'm just riffing. I called her baby girl. Neil said, that's it. That's what you call her now. Oh, wow. That's pretty beautiful. Girl, it's going to mean a lot in 10 minutes. That's not the only time that shit like this happens. And like little decisions that these actors make end up changing the entire course of the game. Yes. And... I fully agree, and I think Neil is one of those people who understand that the people performing have as much ownership of the character as he does as the writer and director. You know, maybe he learned a lot from the Uncharted series, where, as you said, (laughs) the first one had no script whatsoever, (laughs) and the actors improvised the entire fucking game. My favorite thing in that entire episode that we did last season is you being so mad at me. For telling you there was no script. But no, you're absolutely right. Amy Henning ran a ship where it was, we need to get from A to Z in this scene. You own these characters. How do you think they would get to it? And trying to empower these performers to embody these characters and not just read off teleprompter, but own who these people are, own their backstories and live in that skin to say, no, no, they would react like this or this is what they would be comfortable doing. Yeah, it was like he took the best parts of that experience of, you know, yeah, the improv and relying on your actors to help drive the story is important. But also, let's give them a little bit more direction than no fucking script at all. Yeah, there is a real script for this. Yeah, (laughs) I'll give you that one. The first guitar twangs of the Last of Us melody start to play as Sarah sleeps peacefully in her bed. Sometime later, Sarah's woken up by a phone call. This is a dated game because there was a landline in this house. Yeah. (laughs) It's a frantic Uncle Tommy who's like, I need to speak to your dad right now. But then the call cuts out. Sarah's like, what the fuck? Gets out of bed, starts wandering around the house looking for her dad. She goes to her dad's room and sees the news is on on his TV. There's a reporter talking about an infection. And during the news broadcast, an explosion goes off. 
The reporter on the scene in this piece is voiced by the one and only Laura Bailey. Oh, she's going to show up a couple times. Laura Bailey, if you have no idea (laughs) what's coming, plays Abby in The Last of Us Part 2. She's the body actor and voice actor, right? Correct. She is the full performer. I believe she did get a BAFTA for Abby, or at least nominated. She's very well decorated for that performance, and she's in a ton of other games and pieces. She's very beautiful. I'm sure she's also done screen. Like She is just a great performer in general. Yeah. But she's just here as a nameless character in <laughs> The Last of Us Part 1. And it's kind of nice foreshadowing to see her show up at the beginning of this game as the harbinger of the infection. Ooh, yeah. Sarah can also find a newspaper showing that there's some sort of pandemic starting to seep into the world. Something to do with crops. And this part is actually elaborated very well on in the HBO series. True, because I always felt like the Cordyceps virus and the way it was presented in the video game I was always like, eh, I feel like we could have probably stopped this. But <laughs> the way the TV show really explains it and goes into the science behind it, I'm like, oh, no, we were fucked. Yeah. And <laughs> having lived through a global pandemic, we're like, no, we're kind of idiots as a That's group of true. people. Yeah. <laughs> we would lose the fight, y'all. Yep. Sarah goes downstairs to look for her dad and sees Joel's cell phone. It says it's nearly 2 a.m. and he has a ton of missed calls and messages just from Tommy. The night still feels really still and quiet, despite the news reports that she just saw and all this kind of chaos surrounding the house. She wanders around alone in her jammy jams, and the house has no mention of a mother or any other family for that matter. So it's kind of clear that she, Joel, and Tommy are kind of all they have in the world. You know what this whole section reminded me of was actually Life is Strange. Just kind of exploring, picking shit up and going, ah, that's crazy. Yeah, kind of wandering around the house looking at shit because you're also playing as kind of a young girl as well. On top of that, it's not an action heavy scene at all. Yeah. So, yeah, you're just more like experiencing things. I'll give you that. Absolutely. She's also got a short haircut. Yep. (laughs) As Sarah gets towards the back of the house, Joel comes in running through the sliding glass door from the backyard. He is frantic and Sarah is scared just seeing her father scared. He asks if she's okay and if anyone came in the house. Their neighbor, Jimmy Cooper, on the run from his former Newport life and two daughters. I was going to say Jimmy Cooper (laughs) from the OC. I'm sorry that I've had two OC references in this joke so far. But why did they have to name the neighbor Jimmy Cooper? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this joke is only funny to a handful of people that have watched the OC, but damn, that's funny. But damn if you're not one of them. Anyway, Jimmy Cooper slams his entire body weight against the back of the glass door. He is dripping blood and he is ravenous. Jimmy does break through that glass door and lunges at Joel and Sarah. Mm. But Joel is ready with a revolver and he shoots him down. Sarah just saw her father shoot their neighbor. Yeah. She woke up from a nap. (laughs) Joel and Sarah exit the house to see Tommy parked up on their lawn. Very classy ready to get them all out of the city. Apparently cell phones, radio signals, TV, landlines, they're all starting to go down. Oh, fuck. People are fucking panicking. They get in the car. Tommy drives Joel and Sarah through the back roads towards the freeway, getting ready to leave town. But as they turn around, they're like, shit, it's complete bumper to bumper traffic. Tommy's like, it's fine. We'll drive through the city. We'll get out of here. As he's getting through the city, there's people running, they're screaming. And Tommy almost immediately gets T-boned. Oh, God, Tommy. Here, the player's perspective shifts from playing as Sarah 
to starting our journey as Joel. Oh, okay. After the car gets hit, the car fully like revolves, turns around a couple of times. Joel has to crawl out of the car and also pulls his daughter Sarah out of the car. Sarah hurt her leg. She probably broke it. She was just in a car accident. Right. So Joel once again scoops her up in his arms and gives Tommy the gun he had to cover them. He's got his arms full of child. Right. All around the streets, people are fighting. There's fire starting. People are sprinting, screaming, fighting. It is wild. And Sarah is horrified. She is clinging to Joel as he and Tommy start navigating the chaos of the city. And this is where we start to see the first few infected. Oh, oh, this is such a great sequence. And I have to say, the way the show captured all this was perfect. It was exactly like in the game. Yeah. This one's pretty beat for beat, and it gives you the exact same feeling of fear and holy shit, I thought everything was fine and nothing is fine. I also do love that the TV show threw in an airplane crashing down. That was so fucking cool. Yeah, I was kind of sad that wasn't in the game itself. That's almost like the Bioshock whale moment where you're like, this is wild and then something really bombastic happens and you're like, holy shit, dude. Okay, yeah, the full fucking collapse of society is occurring immediately. In front of me. Yeah. This first few infected people you see, they are bloody, they're screaming, and they're violent, and they're looking to rip people apart. Ugh. We see them chase people and tackle them in the streets. Joel and Tommy are able to get through some of the crowds, but then come up on a bunch of infected. Tommy says he'll hang back and clear them out so Joel and Sarah can get farther away. Tommy tells Joel to head down to the highway, and he'll catch up later. So Joel runs down through the outskirts of town, and as he does, two infected come pouring out of a tipped-over ambulance and chase Joel while he's carrying Sarah down towards this highway. As the infected come up on Joel, shots ring out, and the infected are down. Joel winces as these shots are fired, but looks up and sees a fully kitted-out soldier holding a gun in front of him. Joel begs for help, saying his daughter's leg is broken, and they're they're not infected. They just need help. The soldier walkies in that he found two civilians. We can't hear what's on the other end of the line, but we do hear the soldier say, Sir, there's a little girl. Sarah is scared and confused, but Joel already knows what's coming after hearing that. Yeah, fucking hell, we all do. This is terrible. Joel tries to reason with him, saying, Look, man, we've been through hell, but that gun is already raised. Joel turns over his shoulder as the shots are fired and he and Sarah go tumbling down this part of a hill. The soldier runs up to Joel, aiming for his face to finish the job, when Tommy finally catches up and shoots the soldier through the neck. Oh, fuck yeah. Tommy is useful, finally. This is the first time we see Tommy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he is a badass in this beat. Aside from getting the car wrecked. I was going to say, he flipped the car. Okay, so we're one for one on Tommy. (laughs) We're neutral on Tommy Miller right now. Tommy looks just past where the soldier fell, and he says, oh, no. Joel turns and sees Sarah bleeding out. He scoops her up in his arms one last time. He holds her. He tries to stop the bleeding. He tells her she'll be okay. He calls her baby, and soon the light in her eyes is gone, and she dies in his arms. It's fucking tragic. You can see the light fucking go out. This is the first, like, 15 minutes of the fucking game. And we're watching a nine-year-old die in our arms. Beautiful opening. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) They actually filmed a version of this, like, originally, but Neil saw it, came back, and he's like, I need Troy and Hannah to come back and refilm it with different energy. Mm. Now, the first take, Joel immediately goes into mourning and is like, no, my daughter, everything sucks. I am broken. 
But Neil is like, I need you to come back and do a take where Joel tries to fix it and tries to reason and is living inside this moment and hasn't jumped to her being dead. He doesn't realize she's gone yet. And that's the take they use. It's so much more horrifying. Troy and Hannah, they both have said they cried for hours all day. She said she had a crying hangover the next day. She was so dehydrated from sobbing and shit. Ugh. Well, I mean, if you look at the stage of grieving, denial is always the first part of it. That's right. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be realistic for him to jump to acceptance first. Yeah. And as a dad, you're like, no, no, I can fix this. Everything's fine. Yeah, the you're whole, not taking this away from me. As a dad, that is the through line of the entire series at this point. Troy Baker credits this as the day he became an actor. Wow. Right? Holy shit. Okay. Hannah Hayes, who played Sarah, has said that her performance in The Last of Us was some of the most profound acting she's ever done. And it's juxtaposed with her being in a fucking ping pong ball suit. And I was going to say, she peaked at 11. Good for you, I guess. <laughs> she has, those checks still cash. That's true. Which, yeah, she's getting some good residuals off that shit. After this moment of Joel losing his only child, we get the title card for The Last of Us. There's a montage of news reports on the infection spreading throughout the world rapidly. And we can see footage of a fungus spreading. And that's actual practical footage of a fungus that they captured under a microscope. Mm. And then we fast forward 20 years later to the summer of 2033. I can't tell you how shocked I was to see 20 years later. Oh, right. Because you're like, yeah, he's, you know, oh, he's almost 30. That makes sense for a video game protagonist. Entirely. Dude's 49. Yeah. I was like, wait, this guy was already like, I wouldn't say middle aged, but he was older. Yeah, he's not young. He's and not Nathan Drake. We jumped 20 fucking years. I was like, wow, that is a leap. And also it just means that we are going to be deep into this. I'm going to say it. Zombie apocalypse. <laughs> you can say it. I won't, yeah. I'm not going to knock you on it again. If, if it slips out, we deal with it. Yeah. It just shows that we are going to go so far deep into the zombie apocalypse and things are going to be fucked. Absolutely. And you do see how fucked it all is, which is. Kind of the beauty of this show. I agree. The show? The show. (laughs) Both the show and the game, everything about it, yes. But my brain did go to like, how great is it to see Pedro running around? Well, yeah, that haunting image of Pedro just dropping a child's body onto a pile of flaming bodies, you know? From holding his dead daughter in his arms crying to just casually throwing a child's body onto a burning pile shows just like what he went through over 20 years. Ugh. And he's still so hot at 49. (laughs) Granted, that doesn't happen in the game. That's just part of the show. Or in life. Yeah. No one looks that good 20 years later. (laughs) Especially in the apocalypse. Oh, right? There's no sunscreen. (laughs) 20 years later, Joel's in this shitty rundown apartment in Boston. He's woken up by Tess, played by Annie Wershing, pounding at his door. Annie Wershing was also in Marvel's Runaways and unfortunately has passed at the age of 45. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. This scene what that's coming up is actually her audition scene, and she beat out quite a lot of performers to get this role. Okay. Her first audition for this role is actually on her birthday. Good for her. And she was the third member cast of the full cast, following Ashley being the first and Troy being the second. Knowing how much her character does, that's surprising they would cast her third. Really? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, she's just in this part. Yeah, she's a pretty <laughs> minor character overall. I'll debate you later. Okay. Tess walks in, she has a black eye, and Joel is like, what the fuck happened? I was <laughs> napping. 
are you good? She says she was jumped, but that's irrelevant. Is it? The guys who jumped her were sent by Robert, which immediately angers Joel. Fucking Robert. Robert screwed them out of a deal recently. So Joel's like extra mad. And he's like, well, they fucked us on deal and now they jumped you. I'm going to go kill someone. Oh, wow. He's ready for revenge. Or he's at least ready to go pick up the guns that were being run for them. Joel and Tess are smugglers in Boston who move underground and move a lot of weight of stuff. You know, pills, guns, anything you could want from the outside world. This world is run by Fedra. It's kind of this like FEMA type kind of SWAT team armed guard situation that are all over Boston. Yeah, it kind of sounds like government run with a name like Fedra. Yeah, Fed is in the title. Yeah. And, you know, agents are with guns everywhere. There's ration lines, lots of gates, lots of surveillance. They come out of Joel's apartment into this world where they're seeing all these guns and all this stuff. And they can walk by an NPC who is also voiced by Laura Bailey. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just so fun seeing like, oh, you're like the protagonist of the next title doing kind of a nothing thing in here. So like when you're looking at an actor's IMDb or something, you see they wrote a video game as additional voices. That's literally what this is. Yeah. Just NPCs filling out the world. I think Laura Bailey is a character who's like, ah, I got to get in line to get my rations for the day or some shit like that, you know? Oh, that's funny. Also, a fun person that does additional voices for this game is Yuri Lowenthal. Oh, Yuri, he does Spider-Man. He is Spider-Man, bitch. Oh, I love Yuri Lowenthal. I'm so glad he got a credit on the most recent Spider-Verse movie because I really love his performance as Spider-Man. Yeah, he's a great, great Spider-Man. So Spider-Man and Abby are in this because that's how my brain works. (laughs) Now, there's also a curfew that Fedra enforces and there's signs all over reminding people to stay in line and get in your fucking house. Among all those signs, too, are wanted posters for a group of rebels that are operating in the city trying to take down Fedra. These rebels are called the Fireflies. And among the Fireflies on the wanted poster are Ruben, Maxwell, Eduardo, and someone named Marlene. Ooh, Marlene. Now, this is one of the most incredible parts of Naughty Dog, and especially Neil Druckmann as a director in that the visual storytelling of all of this. Yes, Neil loves dropping Easter eggs that kind of fill out the world and make you really buy into the reality of what's happening and the importance of the characters you meet along the way. And, you know, take the Bioshock because that (laughs) is something that comes from Bioshock. That was something that they were very deliberate about was making sure that you can tell the story through your environment as much as you can through the dialogue. I'll, I'll drink to that. Hell yeah. Joel and Tess attempt to go through some military checkpoints with fake passports to pick something up. But as they try to go through, a firefly bombing occurs and they have to run. Okay, so like domestic terrorists. Yeah. Sirens start ringing out through the city saying civilians need to clear the area. So with that fucking drama, Tess tells Joel they need to sneak through the city the long way. Oh, damn it. Tess navigates through a building asking about Robert. And there's a rumor going around that Marlene is also looking for Robert. Hmm. This Marlene, which was also one of the fireflies. Hmm. Joel doesn't like the sound of that. They go through some broken down buildings and look for a safe path to the other side of town. Tess brings Joel through a smuggler's cove area that has various little pop-ups with contraband. It's kind of like an underground farmer's market. I was going to say, is it a literal like underground market? Yeah, and I love a farmer's market. Yeah. This one is selling pit bulls, guns. You can bet on a street fight. Just random shit. Just illegal farmer's market. Oh, that's awesome. We don't have time for that today. 
Tess pays off a kid who will give her Robert's location and find out that he's out by the wharf. That's his turf, so it's going to be really well guarded by Robert's men. Some of his men are there, and they see and confront Joel and Tess. Tess immediately goes, fuck this, shoots one, and now you're in a shootout and have to kill your way to Robert. Thanks, Tess. <laughs> Tess Tess did just get jumped, so she's like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm tired of punching. I'm just going to pull my gun. I got kicked in the ribs today. Like, do you know how hard that is? Yeah. I'm shooting someone. <laughs> Tess and Joel shoot their way up to Robert, who immediately is a punk bitch and runs away screaming. He takes off down an alley through this wharf, and Joel and Tess finally corner him at a dead end, where Robert turns around and goes, no hard feelings, right? Um, all the hard feelings. I fucking hate this guy. Dick. Tess says, oh, none at all, and goes full Tanya Harding and hits Robert right in the shin with a pipe. Good. Robert crumbles to the ground and explains that the guns he was moving for Tess and Joel are gone, and he fucked up. He says he needs some time, and the situation was complicated. Turns out the guns that Robert was moving got sold to the Firefly Queen Supreme herself, Marlene. God damn it, Marlene, you took our guns. Robert's like, hey, you know what? Better idea. Let's roll up on the Fireflies and steal the guns back and just kill them. Go after the head of a terrorist organization. That's your plan? That's your plan, Robert? Tess says that's a stupid idea and then shoots Robert in the face. (laughs) I love that the punishment for a stupid idea is death. (laughs) It's a different world here, Tom. (laughs) Joel says, well, now what? Which is reasonable. And Tess decides to go find the Fireflies to get their guns back. So you really get the sense here that Joel is not a leader in this situation. He is definitely second fiddle to Tess, who's like calling the shots, shooting people in the face, like continuously. She's a dick swinger. Joel's also there. I feel like we see this relationship dynamic later, both in this game and later in the series. Hmm. Also with a Miller. (laughs) The Miller boys love a strong woman. They really do. And a smart woman, because they're not. (laughs) And now, speak of the devil of the Queen Supreme, Marlene. This is where Marlene shows up. Marlene is played by Merle Dandridge, who was so good at Marlene the first time, she got to keep her role going into the HBO series. And honestly, I would say 99% the reason we have decided to remake this episode. Because we love her so much and we need to give her her flowers. Merle Dandridge is no stranger to games as she was actually brought in and cast due to her work on Half-Life 2 as Alex. That's pretty great. Neil straight up was like, get me Alex from Half-Life 2. (laughs) They're like, yeah, Merle, done. And she is so agelessly beautiful. She looks exactly the same in the 2013 ad shit as she does in the 20. 23 ad shit for The Last of Us both times. She is so damn good on the TV show that you can feel the elevated performance that she gives over everybody else when she's on screen. That's exactly what we said when we saw her first episode when we meet Ellie. We're like, she is on another level. Like, that is a masterclass, and you can kind of see the the no-names around her being like, damn. I am learning something from somebody I've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> no, she is absolutely fucking brilliant. Marlene is currently bleeding from something very recent and asks for Robert, who Tess points to as he lays there dead on the ground. Tess says she wants her gun back. Marlene says she paid for them. But you know what? I'll make you a deal. If Tess and Joel smuggle something out of the city, she'll give the guns back and then some. The proposition is laid out, but then soldiers come up seemingly attracted by, you know, the gunfire and the commotion of all the murders. Yeah, that's fair. So now they all have to run. 
Joel, Tess, and Marlene navigate back to a safe spot to show Tess and Joel what they'll be smuggling out of the city. Marlene promises she's going to get their guns back and even double it if you just do this one favor for me. And all Joel and Tess have to do is just smuggle this bit of cargo out of the city and hand it off to another Firefly group. So literally just outside of the city walls. Mm. Get it away from Fedra. That's it. And then they're more than square. Tess does not believe her and refuses to agree until she sees the guns for herself, which is also very reasonable. Like, prove you didn't fuck these up or something. Right. I don't want to get guns that are, like, painted, like, Firefly on the side. <laughs> like, Bitch, that's not what I paid for. Marlene knew Joel's brother, Tommy, who had once been a Firefly. But she says all this in the past tense because Tommy has since left the Fireflies and hit the road. But during his time as a Firefly, he and Marlene were close. So... Marlene's like, hey, I kind of trust Joel by proxy because Tommy was my boy. So come on. So it paid to be a Miller in this case. In this one instance. <laughs> do not hang on to that sentiment. <laughs> Especially if you listen to our episode on The Last of Us Part 2. The three come up on a safe room and Marlene, who again is bleeding out, begins to collapse as she opens the door. Probably because she's losing a lot of blood. Right. She topples through the doorway with Joel right behind her. And as she does... A small voice rings out saying, get the fuck away from her. Here, we see a small white girl with reddish brown hair lunge at Joel with a knife in her hand, ready to stab him in the arteries. Here, we are introduced to Ellie, played by the incomparable BAFTA award-winning performer, Ashley Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Bravo. Great introduction to a character. <laughs> ready to stab the protagonist saying, get the fuck away from her. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's, it's a perfect Ellie moment. Marlene's like, hey, calm down, child. I'm fine. And then she turns and tells Joel and Tess that Ellie is the cargo she needs moved out of the city. Ellie's like, hey, Marlene, if you're not going, I'm not going either. Again, Marlene is bleeding out. She is having trouble standing. <laughs> Marlene insists that Ellie has to move forward. She says, Ellie, we won't get another shot at this. Marlene tells Joel and Tess they just need to get Ellie to the Capitol building across town to hand off to the Fireflies for the guns. And that's it. And that's the Capitol building from The Departed. The big gold building with the rat. Yeah. I love The Departed an unreasonable amount. <laughs> How can you not? It's a perfect movie. It's not. But it's a very, very, very good movie. There are some editing issues. Ah, uh, yeah. Minor. Tess is like, I got you. I'll do it. But I ain't smuggling shit until I see those guns for myself. Marlene's like, valid. Let's go. Joel, I want you to watch Ellie. And Joel and Ellie immediately are like, no. <laughs> Marlene is like hey shut up I'm bleeding Tess and I are going to go to the Firefly camp I'm going to get patched up get this fucking bullet out of my stomach she's bleeding from the stomach by the way right? and verify payment Joel take Ellie to a safe spot while you do that shit and you know make sure the guns are cool Tess and I are going to figure it out and then you guys can move her tonight and the guns are all yours clean as day okay that sounds like a pretty easy mission a little human trafficking but other than that <laughs> consensual <laughs> begrudgingly joel starts leading ellie through the city curfew has already dropped so there's no one on the roads right now but there are soldier trucks going by monitoring for truancy they get to an apartment building nearby and joel flops down on this couch ellie's like so what are you doing joel says killing time she says what she's supposed to do he says he's sure she'll figure it out Joel starts to drift off into sleep, and Ellie says, your watch is broken, and she walks away. We see that Joel is still wearing the watch that his daughter gave him the night she died. 
Oh, and it probably broke that night too, huh? Yeah, I think they try to imply that it broke during when Joel gets shot at by the soldier as Sarah dies. Yeah. Like, I think that is where they try to imply that's where the watch broke, which is also so fucked up. Like, marking the time that his life ended. Oh, and he just wears that every day. That's awful. It is. That evening, Joel wakes up in the middle of a rainy night. Ellie is staring at the window, and she says that he mumbles in his sleep. Tess comes back alone, saying the guns are all there. Let's do this. Let's fucking get our guns back. Yeah. Under the cloak of night, Joel, Tess, and Ellie start to navigate out of the apartment and through broken down buildings to smuggle Ellie outside of the heavily guarded city limits of Boston. And here we have our first generator, folks. Oh, there's always a goddamn generator. Now... I started to do this as a running thing while I was working on this episode, but it just got so tedious. There are seven generators in this game. Seven <laughs> generators. Oh, my God. If it's not fishing, it's a fucking generator. And <laughs> you're absolutely right. Every game has generators or fishing <laughs> and often both. So the generators, perhaps it's just between us, but I fucking hate generators in video games. I don't get it. They're not as abundant as I think video game creators think they are. <laughs> I get why they're very valuable in this world, but what the fuck, man? I mean, they're in the Spider-Man games. They're in this game. Maybe it's a Sony mandate that there's just always a fucking generator. <laughs> Sony has a lot of money invested in generator power. Ghost of Tsushima had a water wheel. That's basically a damn generator. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> God damn it. It's a renewable generator. Right. Yeah. Fuck my life. As they travel through, Tess does try to poke Ellie to see why Ellie is so special. She's like, are you someone special's daughter? Ellie's vague and says something like that. Outside of the apartment building, the group make it out into the streets now. The city is guarded by so many federal officers with like watchtowers, there's soldiers everywhere. So Joel has to tiptoe through a storage unit, but he gets jumped by two soldiers. One of which is played by Laura Bailey. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Man, she just keeps popping up. I think there's only one more that I'm going to mention, but there's a lot in this first act. The soldiers have all three on their knees with their hands over their head and immediately start scanning the backs of their necks for infection. They scan Tess. Tess says, if you look the other way, I'll make this worth your while. They tell her to shut up. They get to Joel. He is quiet. He is calculated. He is waiting for an opportunity. They get to Ellie. Ellie panics and stabs the soldier in the knee. Hell yeah, Ellie. Like clockwork as she does this, Joel and Tess jump into action and kill both soldiers. Oh, it's like the Marx family. They were just waiting for their opportunity. Yeah, entirely. Tess picks up the scanner and sees that Ellie showed up as infected. Oh, Tess. shit. Tess and Joel are immediately angry. They're like, Marlene fucking set us up. Ellie's infected. What? What is this shit? She's trying to get us killed. Gave us a ticking time bomb. Ellie protests, showing them the bite mark on her arm. She says, this is three weeks old. Joel says he's not buying it because in this world, you start turning within 24 hours. Yeah, it's a fast turn. They don't have time to fight right now, though, because more soldiers are on the way to investigate after hearing the gunshots and the screams. Joel leads Tess and Ellie through, again, this heavily guarded soldier terrain, which is now on high alert because of them. Right. Evading spotlights, guns, walking soldiers, and so many. Like, it's wild to get through. And here's the thing. Joel says he's not buying it, but if he truly didn't buy it, he would have shot her right then and there. Oh, right. <laughs> but he's like, fuck it. Let's go. At least a part of him saw that bite and was like, that did look old as shit. Yeah. Through the night, they get into the city of Boston and navigate through a colonial museum in an attempt to get to the Capitol building to drop off Ellie. 
Like, if she's infected, let's just fucking drop her off before she turns. Deal with this later. Yeah, if they accomplish their mission, which is only to go across town, then they get what they want. And you know what? Maybe they can avoid this little girl turning on them and somebody else can deal with her. And you know what? Maybe if she turns, we shoot her and deliver the body. Like, we'll figure it out. Right. They didn't say we had to deliver her alive. Yeah. (laughs) Marlene was vague on that, and that's her fault. Yeah. (laughs) Through the museum, they're jumped by clickers, and we see some infected, and we get into a serious scrap with them, but we make it out and onward. And this scene is so well done in the series, too. And you say clickers. Now, what is that in the sense of these zombies? Oh, that's a great... Thank you. So there are a few different kinds of infected that we're going to run into in this world. To classify really quick, a runner is someone who's recently been infected. They're the ones that are kind of that 24-hour period. That's where you start to become a runner. So it's basically still a human being. Yeah, they're definitely still a human. They're usually fully clothed. Uh, Within this world, Joel is able to sneak up on these and choke them out to kill him. And in the TV show, I think they did a good job of explaining where they're at in terms of their transition here. Yeah. And it's the fungus is flooding their brain with kind of a hallucinogen that is causing them to act out crazy. And like violently. Yeah. The next stage is a clicker. Now, there is a stage in between called a stalker that is more explored in two. I did see them in the PS5 version, but... They're very clear about them in two. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of the infected in the first year of its transition from being that runner to a clicker. Right. They're still very fast, but they're not a full clicker. Now, a clicker is the more common kind of baddie in this world and in two as well. A clicker has been infected for at least a year and the infection has taken over the brain and begins to spread the fungus from the nervous system through the body. Because of this, there's a fungus that takes over the head and face and it starts to Bloom, I think, mm-hmm. is the best way to phrase this. Bloom in a disgusting manner. Yeah. Clickers are like orange toned, kind of full of fungus. Their clothes are literally starting to fall off their body and they are completely blind as the infection begins in the brain and kind of starts to bloom outwards. So it does take over their vision and they can't see. But they kind of have a rudimentary echolocation system where they scream and can kind of chase things from there yeah and like people today can do this like real blind people have learned how to do this as well that's so fucking cool they kind of do like a little tongue click sound and it shoots out a vibration and they can feel it come back at them i can barely do anything like that is <laughs> that is so incredible that people can teach themselves how to read situations like that that's beautiful but yeah bats and dolphins they kind of operate the same way right Now, these, because they're so much more advanced in their world of infection, they can't be choked out or grappled. You have to, like, shiv at them or shoot them or set them on fire. I prefer fire. Which also, let's talk about shiving for just a moment because, (laughs) like, we've already established Ellie has a damn pocket knife. Yeah, she has a little switchblade that she has on her. But Texas-ass Joel... How the hell does he not carry a knife on him? Girl, I have no fucking idea. I think I cried about this in the Last of Us 2 episode as well. It still makes me angry. I carry a knife. I have a knife on me (laughs) everywhere. It's always in my purse. You got it for me for Christmas. It's my favorite knife. I have a knife everywhere I go. A lot of people I know have a knife everywhere they go. I think I've gotten all my girlfriend's knives for Christmas one year. But Joel has to fucking like craft his out of broken scissors and empty bottles and shit. Yeah, It's insane to me that he doesn't own a knife. And he's been in this world for 20 years. He should have a knife. He should have a fucking knife. (laughs) Just roll up onto like, what is a Dick's Sporting Goods or a Bass Pro Shop. 
break in, grab a pocket knife, walk away. That's all you need. It what the fuck? One of the few mechanics that makes zero sense about Joel and his world. But yeah. Also, Joel's a little dumb. This is my only note, is that Joel should have had a pocket knife on him from day one <laughs> and been, like, sharpening it with rocks and shit when they're in the woods. Yeah. Like, that makes sense to me canonically, but... And at the very least, have him start with one and then take it away. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so that's kind of everyone up to a clicker. As we... There's a couple more stages as we encounter them. Uh, there's one more stage that we will see in this game. They added two more in... Stages of infection in Last of Us Part 2, but we'll get to the big boy as we get there. I don't want to jump the gun. Right. There was one day on set where Ashley and Troy had to be clickers just for kind of funsies and to get into it. That's fun. But for the most part, the clickers were these really athletic mocap performers who could do theatrical, creepy, infected movements. That's really cool. Like, that's one of the things that we get in the TV show is we get a child clicker at one oh, point. Oh, it's so fucking cool. And they said that they saw, like, a dozen and a half auditioned videos, and the one that they chose was the one that moved the creepiest. They were like, ah! the way this girl moves is just so terrifying. We had to cast her. That's probably not going to fuck her up later in life. Right. <laughs> she's, like, at a dance, and they're like, you dance weird, and she's like, not again. And, yeah, if you've seen the little kid in the Last of Us TV show clicker, it is is absolutely terrifying and one of the greatest moments on the show. That's just a fucking excellent performance. Yeah. They also did have a female clicker voice and a male clicker voice for what it's worth. So they did try to do some distinctions between it's not all the same Wilhelm scream for the zombie. You know? Okay, that's good. In layman's terms, again, I know it's not a zombie. In the early morning, all three of them make it to the Capitol building. Joel opens the door and he sees that the fireflies that they're looking for are there. But they are all dead. Oh, shit. Blood is everywhere. There's bodies slumped over. Tess is furious. She screams, no, 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 no. She insists that Joel has to keep pushing and says she's sad that her luck run out. Ellie hears this and realizes it before Joel does. Ellie says, oh, shit, she's infected. She knows that feeling, you know, she's lived it. And then she's, you know. I don't want to give away too much, but she's lived it and she knows exactly what happens when somebody gets infected and what goes through their mind. Joel demands to see the bite and Tess angrily shows him the bite on her shoulder from the scrap in the museum. She tells Joel he needs to get Ellie to Tommy that, you know, Tommy used to run with the fireflies. He can help. He can get Ellie to wherever they need to go to figure out how she's immune. She says that look at Ellie's bite. That is weeks old and hers is from an hour ago and already looks worse. Tess is pleading with literally the last moments of her life with Joel to take Ellie to Tommy's. And as she does, a car pulls up with tons of Fedra soldiers. Oof. The soldiers start to roll in and you can hear them screaming, getting ready to ram the door. And Tess pushes Joel to take Ellie. Joel leaves with Ellie as Tess gets ready to fight the soldiers to the death. In her own words, this is her last stop and Joel has to keep going. Damn. So, real quick, since we are the other castle, we do the plot, lore, and more. Here's a little <laughs> bit of lore that actually goes into tests. Yeah. So, something we learned from not just the TV show. They didn't even show this in the TV show. I listened to the commentaries and a podcast about The Last of Us TV show, and they talked about Tess's backstory. And one of the things that happened to her was when the plague kind of came through, her husband and child both got infected. Mm. and she killed her husband, but she couldn't kill her child. Oh, Tess. And she ended up locking her child away in a room and just refused to deal with it and walked away from that. And that's canonical lore from the game's development. I've heard that story as well. Yeah, that's just, this came directly from Neil Druckmann himself. Ugh. 
So yeah, that's a little backstory about Tess and just like the tragic death that she ends up facing because she just, that's why she pushes Joel so hard. She's like, nobody should have to fucking live with this. Yeah. Nobody should have to go through what I went through. Nobody else should have to go through what I'm going through right now. And this is our one hope of this ending. Yeah. Marlene's goal was to get Ellie to a safe place within the Firefly system because the Fireflies do have a large network of refugees and people that are fighting the government to try and find a better world. And part of that is research on stopping the virus. Right. Ellie is the first person that we've seen in this world that is immune and has been bitten and hasn't turned. So whatever's going on in her body might be able to help other people. And Tess is like, I have lost everything to this, including my own life right now. You better fucking take this girl and get other people help right now. And Joel's like, it seems far. I don't want (laughs) to. He's such a stubborn bastard. And he's (laughs) also like really worried about his brother. But this is like a trip to go see his brother. And he's still kind of like, but I just I I just wanted to call. (laughs) There's no phones, Joel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's the plan? There is an alternate universe, which did get scrapped. But there was a version where something happens and Joel and Ellie take off. And Tess follows them across the country. Really? Tess doesn't die, but she is chasing them and hunting them down as they get closer towards the Firefly world. But that got scrapped, obviously. I don't admit it doesn't make any sense to have Tess trying to hunt them down. Yeah, right? Like, there's enough stacked against them. We don't need to add an additional antagonist. Yeah. It's funny because Tess is kind of credited as being the person who tells Joel to like go on the adventure. You know, she's the one that's pushing and starting the action. She's the one that agreed to do this in the first place. And Joel's kind of like, ah, oh, damn it. That's right. Cause <laughs> Joel doesn't make decisions for himself. He just kind of follows. Right. <laughs> and then she immediately dies, but there's a version where she could have done this and also hunted them down across the country. That's fascinating. I wonder if it was connected to that backstory of her child and like wanting to like, I don't know, like drain Ellie's blood to try to give to her own kid to save him kind of shit. Oh, my you know? God. Go find him in the basement. Yeah. Of some rundown house and be like, baby boy, I got you. Yeah. Ugh. anyway, but back in this reality, <laughs> Tess tries to hold back the soldiers as much as she can. But between the virus and the bullets, she's not long for this world. Ellie and Joel duck and dive their way through the Capitol building to escape. Soldiers descend on them and chase them into the subway station below. Now, apparently, the designer of the Boston subway system attempted to sue Naughty Dog for using his designs in the game. Oh my god, really? He wanted his cut for design? He got mad that the game was too realistic and showed the maps of the subway system, the map art? Really? Within the subway system, yeah. He tried to NFT their asses before <laughs> NFTs were even a thing. He tried to get them on a, uh, oh God, copyright. Yeah. <laughs> like they do on YouTube if you use um, copyrighted music. Yeah. <laughs> they and wanted to demonetize him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shut this whole thing down. Yeah. Anyway, Joel and Ellie make it through and finally get out into the light of day. At this point, as they're catching their breath, Ellie tries to console Joel about Tess but he insists that they never talk about Tess again. He also insists that she never tell anyone about her condition for obvious reasons. Yeah, obviously, because you might end up with somebody chasing you across the country. Right? But that didn't happen. I know. (laughs) Joel and Ellie hit the road to go see an old friend of Joel's who can probably help them get a car so they can get across the country to find Tommy and the Fireflies. He has a vague sense of where Tommy is somewhere in Jackson, Wyoming, which is... 
the middle of the country where Boston is the whole ass East Coast, like deep in the East Coast. I wouldn't even put it in the middle of the country. It's in like the left third. It's right near Colorado, right? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the Northwest. Holy shit. So they have a long way to go. As the sun begins to set, Joel and Ellie come up on a town through a gorgeous glade of forest. Ellie sees fireflies, the bugs, not the revolutionaries, <laughs> and is amused by this. As they get a good view of the town, a smoky fire billows out from deeper within the town. Joel says, is that you, Bill? <laughs> and he quietly navigates some loose clickers while Ellie blows air to try to teach herself how to whistle. I mean, I get it. I can't whistle. I just I appreciate that dynamic of Joel sneaking around and like choking people out while Ellie's like, do do do. Also, whistling has a very dark connotation later in the series. Yeah, not in this game, but whistling does come back around in two in a pretty rough way. (laughs) As the two get deeper into town, they watch a clicker walk through an alley and get its head blown off. Ellie's like, whoa, what was that? And Joel begins to explain that this is Bill's town. I love Bill so much, both in the game and the TV show, and arguably they're very different characters in each. Oh, entirely. And if we got Bruce Campbell in the Raimi version, yeah, <laughs> it would be fucking hysterical. Yeah, we would have never gotten the story that we got from the TV show out of the Raimi verse. We would have yeah. just gotten the straight one, <laughs> literally the straight one from the video game. <laughs> um, spoiler, spoiler alert, Bill's gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom. <laughs> Killing it. All right. Now, Bill is a survivor. And he's not affiliated with any group, not Fedra, not the Fireflies, not any other survivor groups. He has jerry-rigged this entire town that he lives in to protect himself. There are hand-painted signs saying, you will be shot. (laughs) There are traps all over to keep people and infected away, similar to this, where if you trip a wire, a bomb goes off. He's a prepper that was right, which is dangerous and cool. It's always scary when the prepper is right, like in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes, exactly. Oh, you know, he would get along with Bill really well. Yeah, right? He would. (laughs) That John Goodman character. I liked that movie. I don't want to see it again, but I liked it. It was heavy. Yeah. As Joel and Ellie get closer to the billowing smoke where we assume Bill probably is, Joel warns Ellie that Bill is not the most stable of individuals, (laughs) his words, and to let Joel do all the talking. Ellie agrees to this. Bill just don't take too kindly to strangers. Bill is wonderful, and again, I just kind of want to cut to the TV show because he has one of my favorite lines in the entire thing, and he says, yeah? not today, you New World Order jackbooted fucks. <laughs> and here's the thing, is that that line wasn't technically in the script. Really? That was a Nick Offerman riff? It wasn't a riff. So the way Neil Druckmann writes his scripts is that he will write what the character is thinking inside their head as dialogue. Oh. And so Nick Offerman, who's never played the video game before, he doesn't know technically who Bill is from the game. He only knows him from the script. He just said, I only have one note, and it's, I'm going to say this line because you don't write that shit and not say it out loud. (laughs) Hell yeah. So that is one of my favorite lines from the TV series. And yeah, it's completely just because Nick Offerman insisted this has to be said. Oh, fuck yeah. I love everything about that. Now... To your point about the series, if you haven't seen the episode, it's beautiful, but it does tell the story of Bill from kind of the start of the infection to his death. Correct. That is not canonical to the game. It Mm -mm. is a very different story. 
I like both versions of the story, both in the game. It's still a very compelling character. And out of the game, it's this beautiful kind of one-off episode that doesn't feature Ellie and Joel very heavily, but features what life is like in this world. And how you can actually live a normal life within this world as well. A relatively normal life. Yeah. <laughs> Big asterisk on that. Yeah. Totally. So I just want to acknowledge that before we dive into Bill's world. Ellie and Joel get closer and closer to the smoke plume that they saw when they arrived. And going through a building, Joel opens the door to move forward. And his foot is shot up and suddenly he's swinging upside down. Oh, this part is so difficult. Ellie is reasonably confused as to why her guardian is now swinging upside down like a goddamn pinata. Right. She didn't grow up on Looney Tunes. She doesn't know these traps exist. Joel explains, it's one of Bill's stupid traps. (laughs) Bill did grow up on Looney Tunes, so he knows these traps. (laughs) Joel is now swinging upside down like Michael DeSanta in GTA 5 when he gets kidnapped by the Chinese mob. It is exactly like that. (laughs) Ellie rushes to steady him as he's like swinging back and forth, and Joel looks around and sees the counterweight for the trap is a fridge just kind of on the other side of this big warehouse area. He's ready to explain to Ellie how to cut him down when, (laughs) he guessed it, infected start pouring in. Oh, Jesus. For fans of the sequel, we know there's a very similar trap moment that we see another character go through towards the end. And I found that symmetry kind of nice within the narrative. That is nice. Yeah, there's a lot of poetry. It rhymes. It does. Ellie is climbing on top of the fridge to cut Joel down because like a prepared person in the apocalypse, she has a fucking knife. And Joel the person you're playing as, is swinging upside down, shooting at the infected as they start to descend on Ellie. And to your point, yes, this is very fucking hard. And honestly, even Joel, like, come on, you dumbass. He could have at least (laughs) used his gun to shoot the rope, like, got up and close to it and shoot the rope off. Yeah, you don't have to shoot across the room to the part on the counterweight. You can just kind of hold yourself steady, shoot above your ankles. (laughs) And probably be fine. Granted, he got flipped upside down. All the blood's rushing to his head. He's not thinking straight anymore. Yeah, and he does have to protect Ellie, who is immune from the infected, who could not infect her. (laughs) Ellie is cutting the rope as fast as she can with clickers and runners coming in after her and Joel. She finally cuts Joel down, who is ready to land on his spine. (laughs) Right. As he lands, an infected lunges at him, swiping and ready to eat his face. But as this infected is gnashing their teeth at Joel, a machete comes in and stops the infected. The knife makes contact with what flesh the infected had left and then easily slices through to decapitate him. Oh, nice. And this is where we meet Bill. (laughs) Good introduction to Bill. Bill is played by W. Earl Brown, who was the brother in There's Something About Mary. Okay, yeah, the Franken-Beans guy? Yep. Oh, my God. And Dan Doherty in Deadwood. Oh, I love Deadwood, and Dan was a great character. This boy's got Franks and Beans and range, bitch. That is true. I mean, he served up Frank and Beans in Deadwood as well, but... Yeah, like Pearson. Yeah. (laughs) Now, they don't talk a lot about casting, but I do want to say that W. Earl Brown beat out Michael Rooker for this role. Oh, damn. Michael Rooker would have been great, too. And Michael Rooker, if you can't place him, that's Yondu from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah, the blue face guy. He once told me I was sexy, and I have been chasing that high ever since. (laughs) I think I called you and was like, you'll never guess what just happened. (laughs) And you're like, ho, ho, what? It was like Michael Rooker's in the office, and he said, look at these sexy girls. How are you doing, girl? Are you sexy? And I was like, ah! (laughs) 
I made him take a picture with me, and I had a breakout of rosacea all over my face. Oh. I had a rash. I was having an allergic reaction to something. So my makeup is so cakey because I was like <laughs> trying to hide this crazy red across my face, and I am just beaming next to this man who is wildly charismatic. And who is not playing Bill. He called me sexy once. Anyway. Ah, I'm still glowing thinking about that. That was I I feel like I peaked. <laughs> it was after we got married, but that's still like up top ten. <laughs> now Bill navigates everyone through a couple more swarms of infected in into a safe room behind a lock and key. Ellie's like, hey man, thank you so much for the heroics. She introduces herself, and Bill takes her extended hand that she wanted to shake and handcuffs her to a pipe. He then pistol whips Joel. Oh, this is a good introduction to Bill. <laughs> Bill's the fucking best. <laughs> it's like he does something great, and then he does something awful. And then he physically abuses the people he's around. A child. As Bill is satisfied to see that Joel isn't infected, Ellie rips the pipe off the wall and hits Bill with it. That's Ellie for you. In one take, Ashley Johnson actually did hit the shit out of W. Earl Brown on accident. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Ellie reasonably screams at Bill. Bill's like, ha I hate you guys. Ellie reasonably is like, hey, man, fuck you. Why'd you tie me to a goddamn pipe? And Joel's like, I need your help. I need a car. Bill's like, you need a car? That's a joke. Why would I give you a fucking car? (laughs) He sarcastically is like, why don't you take all my food while you're at it? Ellie's like, yeah, you look like you could lose a few pounds. Oh, more fat jokes. Is she GLaDOS? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Joel is like the babysitter between two bickering children. He tells her, stop mouthing off. And he focuses back on Bill to get a car. I mean, if you are hefty in the apocalypse, you're eating well. He is eating well. We see in the TV show, he eats like duck and shit. Right. Bill explains that there's a car on the other side of town and he might be able to cobble something together. But after this, he does not owe Joel fucking anything. So there might be a little debt there. Yeah. They're like, all right, let's fucking go get it. Bill says, by the way, this entire town is booby trapped, so stay on my ass. (laughs) Ellie says, can't miss it. Damn. (laughs) So they don't get along from minute one. Yeah, and there's not a lot of arc here. They're not going (laughs) to like each other at the end of this. (laughs) Joel is so like, shut up, but that was good. (laughs) Like, he cannot show that he liked that joke, but you can tell he's like, Goddamn. It's like, damn, Ellie, you got a mouth on you. I love it. Bill brings Joel and Ellie to his armory and gives Joel some shit for not being with Tess. And Joel sidesteps it and does not tell him what happened. Oh. Bill's like, whatever, this is the worst fucking mission you've ever taken. And he also goes on a little rant about, you can't care about anyone. I used to care about someone and it's a weakness and it's a terrible idea. Don't get attached to anyone. Bill says he used to care about someone. It was like a partner. And the only good thing that partner was for was getting him killed. So he's like really bitter about this shit. Oh, I'm so sorry, Bill. You're the first person to ever lose somebody. During the table read for this scene, W. Earl Brown asked Neil Druckmann about the backstory of this anecdote and what that means for Bill. Neil said, well, as Bill, what do you think it means? And W. Earl Brown made the executive decision for what this means for Bill. Really? That's amazing. Like, again, this is where Neil Druckmann really, like, leans on his actors to help drive the narrative. Entirely, yeah. Back in the story, Bill gives Joel a shotgun so they can get on with it, go get the parts they need, get all this shit. Bill's town is incredibly well guarded and trapped by Bill, but there are military convoys that come through town every so often. Recently, one got overrun by infected and drove their truck into a nearby school. Bill can pull the battery out of that truck and drop it into another working car. 
So that's the goal. That's pretty easy, right? Yeah. The only trick is that school they drove into, super overrun by infected. Of course it is. So we have to be careful. (laughs) Off to the school we go. Because this area is so heavy with infected, Bill's actually not super familiar with the hordes and stuff there, and there aren't as many traps. He's obviously kind of got his radius really secure, but there's going to be pockets of town you can't control. Yeah, you can only extend your defenses so far. But that's where Joel comes in. (laughs) Joel is navigating the clickers and the infected runners, kind of just making sure the path is clear for Ellie and Bill to come through. As they get towards the school, a huge horde of infected are roaming around these rotting school buses. After getting through this huge mass of infected, Joel and Bill accidentally bring a lot of attention to themselves with all the gunplay and bring way more infected rushing towards them. These boys. These loud boys. Yeah. Joel finds an open window in the school and gets Bill and Ellie through into the school, and he barely squeezes by before getting swiped at by an infected. It's very Indiana Jones in the hat. Oh, okay. Once inside the school, Bill walks over to the truck, pops the hood, and the battery's fucking gone. Son of a bitch. Someone else took the battery out. Now, who would take the battery out? (laughs) Bill's like, it's kind of just me, so what the fuck? But someone beat Bill to the punch, and Joel is like, okay, well, fuck, what's the plan? And Bill is like, well, shit, this school and campus is crawling with infected, so let's start by getting out of here. Yeah, he's like, this was the plan, dude. This school is so creepy. If you've ever been in a school at night when no one's there, imagine that, but 30 years abandoned and zombies. I've actually (laughs) been in a 30-year-old abandoned school before. Ew, what the fuck? Did you die? No, no, it's a whole long story, but uh, I have not been in one full of zombies. But general gist, it's rotting classrooms and it's terrifying. Oh, horribly terrifying, especially when you find like a doll that got left behind. Ew, no. Oh, that's terrifying. This journey through the rotting classrooms to get out of the school alive leads them to the gymnasium. And it's a basic indoor high school gym. It's a basketball court. There's bleachers. And of course, with every school gym, a bloater, baby. Oh, so we haven't talked about the bloater yet. Yes. Out of the back of the gym bursts a bulbous infected monster completely covered in boils. It is huge. It is gross. It throws bombs made out of spores. Spores. What are the spores? All right. So let's just talk about what a bloater is first. Okay. A bloater is what happens after an infected has been a clicker for so long, the infection has spread through every part of their body. Their clothes are completely worn off them. They're now this huge chunk of infected flesh lumbering through feasting on bodies. So it's disgusting. It's a lot of boils. And they're able to excrete spores, which, you know, this is a fungus, so it's similar to a mushroom. And a spore is kind of this airborne element of the infection. Okay, so it's like why you should always get rid of black mold in your house. Yes! (laughs) And, you know, wear a mask. Remember that whole shit? Yeah. Same deal. So they're just fucking disgusting. It's like a bunch of blisters running around. It's horrible. And they're huge. You cannot melee them because they are so big and overpowered by the fungus. You have to shoot them from afar, set them on fire, whatever. You just can't roll up on them. And as you're going through the game, there are also sections where the spores are like kind of all in the air and Mm -hmm. Joel has to put on a mask. Yeah. Ellie doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. In the game, that's how they proved to Joel that she really was fully immune. But in the TV show, they had her get bit a second time and just have her be like, oh, well, I guess if any of us was going to get bitten, should have been me. Yeah. She's like, shit happens. Yeah. (laughs) And Joel's just like, 
damn, you really just got bitten and didn't turn. All right, I guess you're now, you are safe. You're super vaccinated. Yeah. Ellie has never seen a bloater before, probably because she's been in, you know, the sanctity of the Boston quarantine zone, the QZ. Yeah. And is like, what the hell? (laughs) This is horrifying to see for the first time as Ellie and as the player. Yeah, she grew up in like a Fedra orphanage. Yeah, she went to military school and shit. Bill and Joel beat this bloater down with a few additional infected runners and they get out. They catch their breath right outside the school and they're like, holy shit, that was great. I mean, that was terrible, but we lived. Yeah. And then a bunch more infected come by. So they're like, well, shit, Bill, like, hey, let's go up to that fucking house. Let's go. They get in. They close the doors. They catch their breath. And as they do, Bill looks up and sees a familiar face. As he looks up, just by the Hawaiian button shirt on this corpse hanging from the ceiling, Bill sees Frank. Joel's like, who the hell is Frank? And Bill says plainly that Frank was his partner. And within this line delivery specifically, W. Earl Brown took the words on the page from mourning a running buddy to mourning the last love Bill had in a broken world and inspired one of the best episodes of TV in a very long time. I mean, it's amazing what an actor can do with a single line. Entirely. Now, Neil never had that intention when writing Bill. Neil never saw Bill as queer. Bill, he saw Bill as a loner who had another smuggler or someone he connected with for parts or trades, but he didn't see Frank as significant to Bill's heart. And until he read that line. Until W. Earl Brown said, no, I think that's what he means by partner, which is so beautiful. I mean, he asked him, what does he think he means? Like, he leaned on him for that. Yeah. Now, Joel says, well, Frank was probably Britain and wanted to take his own life before turning. In this phase of the world, most people know ending their story while they still can is better than living the hell of just being a ghost inside of a fungus, you know? Yeah, you don't want to turn that. Because also, like, what that ends up doing is putting others in danger. Yeah. No, entirely. Bill privately mourns bitterly at seeing the only other citizen of his town hanging from the rafters, but then says, fuck him, and tells Joel to go through the house for any usable supplies. Bill and Joel get into the garage where Ellie has gotten into the truck and says, hey, there's still some juice in that. And with this, Bill pops the hood of the truck and sees the fucking battery they were looking for in the goddamn school. Frank had the same damn idea. His painful mourning immediately shifts to anger and frustration that goddamn Frank is an asshole who stole his shit. (laughs) You can see why Frank left him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he kind of flies off the handle pretty quick. Yeah, he's a lunatic. So, unlike Frank, the battery isn't completely dead, but they do have to start pushing the car to get it moving. Joel has Ellie sit in the front to pop the clutch, and Bill and Joel start rolling the truck out of the house to get the cells recharged. Bill does look around the garage, and he goes, is this more of my shit? He stole my shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, honestly, go Frank. As Joel goes to Ellie to prep her for moving the car, he tells her she's doing a good job. A genuine compliment. Bill tells Ellie not to fuck it up, and they start moving the truck out. So, you know, both sides of that coin. Yeah. Some infected pop up as they're getting the truck moving, but they are able to turn the car over and start rolling. Ellie and Joel give Bill a ride back towards his encampment, and as they drop him off, Bill says he and Joel are square, and they go their separate ways. As Ellie and Joel drive off, Ellie is in the back reading a comic book. Joel asks where she got it, and she said she grabbed it back at Bill's because it was just sitting there, like, whatever. Yeah, she likes comic books. 
She then pulls out a nudie mag and Joel goes, hey, Ellie, that's not for kids. <laughs> she says, hold your horses. I want to see what all the fuss is about. Now she goes to a centerfold, as I mentioned about the character decision made by W. Earl Brown on Bill. <laughs> she looks at this centerfold and she goes, how does he walk around with that thing? <laughs> then she asks Joel why all the pages are stuck together. Gosh, this is the most awkward thing you could possibly put Joel through. <laughs> He's like, uh, and she just goes, I'm just fucking with you. She throws the magazine out the window and says, bye bye, dudes. <laughs> now, in the original script, this was a nude woman magazine. But because of W. Earl Brown's decisions as Bill, they changed it to a male magazine and redid the line. So instead of saying bye bye, ladies. Ashley Johnson yells, bye-bye, dudes. And honestly, knowing what happens with Ellie, she would have probably kept the girl one. Yeah. Everyone's gay in this. Right. It's fucking great. <laughs> this scene was also a chemistry read that was used in the audition process for Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson. That's really good because this chemistry is really where they start to like make their change, too. Yeah. They start to really bond and Joel kind of figures out Ellie's sense of humor. Yeah. He really does. He starts to get to know her a little bit better. He's also seen her hold her own a bit more. Yeah. He's been like, okay, you can stay on my ass when we're like going through and navigating a hard situation. So you're not useless. You're not a damsel in distress. And he also thought she was really funny when she was dealing with Bill. Yeah. He's very like, shut up. But he's like, damn, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they drive a bit farther and end up in Pittsburgh, which is about 570 miles west of Boston, which is, you know, a great start. Fair distance. I mean, that should be more than one tank of gas, but let's not cover that. We're not going to talk about the gas. <laughs> the city is packed with cars and Joel tries to cut through the city, which, you know, worked so well back in Austin. Right. They come up on a man clutching his side, waving and saying he's hurt and asking for help. Joel sees this and knows it's a ruse. He drives faster towards the guy. And as the car comes closer, the man stands up straight and starts shooting. And other rogue bandits around start attacking the truck. Joel drives into a store and crashes the car, and as he does, the other guys come out towards this car. In this city, the QZ failed a long time ago, and now it's run by rebels that are called hunters. They scavenge and they kill outsiders that they call tourists for supplies. Now, this first sequence was actually the E3 demo for The Last of Us, so... Well, one of the reasons why this was the E3 demo was this was the very first thing that they physically filmed. Really? Was this car scene right here. Oh, shit. And it actually changed the trajectory of the entire game over a single decision that Ashley made. Oh. While she was performing as Ellie, one of the things you talked about earlier was the inspiration from Sin City. Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember in that, Jessica Alba's character is very much the damsel in distress. Right. She does not have any agency over her own protection necessarily. And she's not in a world where she has to be particularly protective of herself. She's a stripper or a go-go dancer, I think, is more the clean version in the movie. Yeah. So she's not like she's an MMA fighter that can casually kick someone's ass. She's a dancer. And that's actually how Ellie was written. Oh. Ellie was written to be damsel in distress, useless child. And Ashley read the script and was performing on the day, and she just couldn't get it right. And she said, here's the thing. I don't think I would be scared here. I think Ellie would fight back here. Hell yeah. And from that moment forward, Ellie went from damsel in distress into fighter. Hell yeah. And that changed the entire character going forward. I fucking love that. 
which is good that they did that on day one, because otherwise we yeah. would have had all these issues earlier. <laughs> For like 10 hours in the game, she's like, hey, Joel, what if I helped? Yeah, no, but that was the moment where she had read it and she was like, this isn't right. She needs to be a fighter. And that changed everything. I love that. That's amazing. So within this, Joel is hiding behind parts of the fallen store as men shoot at him all around this crashed car. Ellie's also hiding, but, you know, she's not being useless. She's not screaming for help. She's like, we're in this. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Now, within Pittsburgh, you can find a newspaper that shows that they're on the 13th Uncharted movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And that Justin Bieber is announced as Nathan Drake. He's going to replace whoever was playing him before. Yeah. <laughs> it turned into like a James Bond franchise. Yeah. They're just different Nathan Drakes every few years. Yeah. And they cast Bieber as him. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. I love it. It was 2013. The world was ending. We didn't know. <laughs> it was the sign that the world was ending that he yeah. got cast as Nathan Drake. This is the source of the corset virus is <laughs> casting Justin Bieber as Nathan Drake. And the universe was just like, nope, we're done. See, our universe picked Tom Holland. We only had to deal with a coronavirus. Right. <laughs> If it was Harry Styles, we definitely would have gotten a cordyceps virus. (laughs) And I will stand by that. Hot takes, ladies and gentlemen. So they navigate through this very hostile Pittsburgh, through all these hunters, and they figure if they can get to the bridge right outside a pit, they can get out of town and get the fuck away from these crazy people. Now, there are hunters all throughout the city. They are everywhere. But with that comes more opportunity to scavenge for bullets and loose pushpins and shit like that. <laughs> so, you know, good oh, and bad. The scavenging in this game. Scavenging in this game sucks and I don't like it. But you got to explore all sorts of different places, including something that was added to the PS5 version. Yes, which we will get into as we're almost there. Okay. Because this journey through Pittsburgh takes Ellie and Joel through a hotel that is crawling with hunters and is such a notoriously difficult level that I have seen people interviewing Pedro Pascal about Joel asking, how do I get out of the hotel in Pittsburgh in The Last of Us? (laughs) He's been like, I've never played it. I'm bad at video games. Yeah, he has never played the game. They told him not to play the game first off when he was cast as it, but he was also like, I can't, so don't worry. Yeah, I think he said he's tried and he's like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just kept dying. I mean, if he had put some effort into it, like you didn't think you could do it either, but now you can. Here I am. It, he's he's busy. He's running every franchise. He is. He's in a lot of franchises. Do you think we'll get him in the Fast and Furious franchise? I'm surprised he hasn't been already. <laughs> Fair enough. Ugh. And through this hotel that they're going through, Joel and Ellie get separated. Joel falls down an elevator shaft, which is how people die on soap operas, but is fine for Joel. <laughs> and gets stuck in this horrible basement level where he has to swim and dodge past bloaters and clickers and... Of course. Turn on a generator. God damn generator. <laughs> I feel the anger rising. I don't <laughs> I purposely kind of skim over a couple of these later in the game because I know it gets annoying of like, and then it's another fucking generator. Well, in this game, it's not just the generators. It's the number of times you gotta hop Ellie onto a crate. Yeah. The number of times you gotta grab a plank and turn it into a bridge. Moving ladders. Moving ladders. Like I was watching you play through it this last time and I was still just like, yeah, this gameplay, not for me. love the story but this gameplay is just too tedious and too like always doing kind of the same thing you got to push a cart somewhere yeah yeah it was a little bit uh repetitive in my opinion there are a lot of environmental puzzles in this that they don't lean on as much in two which i think is why i like two a bit better yeah 
I really enjoy two a lot more. So little preview for our Patreon. I'm doing Half-Life 2 episodes one and two for our next Patreon episode. And I'm playing those games through with their commentary. And they talk a lot about game theory and game design. And one of the things they said was like, after a big action piece, you needed a puzzle piece to kind of like calm the gamer down. Yeah. But the thing was, was that with those games, they needed the puzzle to equal the action from before it in terms Mm. of difficulty or else the gamer got bored. I don't see The Last of Us do this. I see us have a big bloater action sequence and then we got to grab a ladder and walk it over here. And we got to <laughs> set it down. And Ellie, come over here and I'm going to help you climb. You know, that Boost kind of shit. me. Yeah. And it kind of became the same puzzles over and over again. Just a different variety of it. Oh, no. But the yeah. story is so fucking beautiful. I, it, it completely outweighs that problem. Do you think that's why you prefer the TV show? I do prefer the TV show at this point. I think if I want to experience The Last of Us, I would just watch the TV series, but I would absolutely pick up and play Last of Us 2 like tomorrow if I wanted to. I might pick it up tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it Playing one, I thought I would want to crave and watch that show, but playing one just makes me want to play two because I'm like, it's this but better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Joel falls down a fucking elevator shaft. Yeah. Gets down into a basement, generator, all this shit. Joel comes back up through this hotel looking for Ellie and he's jumped by a hunter. This guy ends up pinning Joel under kind of this patch of water and drowning him. Joel is like trying to fight him, but he is fully getting overtaken. He's reaching for a gun that's just out of his range. And as Joel starts to really lose his bearings, Ellie comes up, picks up the gun, and shoots the hunter who is attacking Joel. Oh, so Ellie has now used a gun. Ellie says, I really shot the shit out of that guy, didn't I? (laughs) And then follows up with, I feel sick. Oh, good. At least they had some kind of, like, remorse over it. Yeah. Joel is a bit ungrateful, and he says, well, I'm glad I didn't get my head blown off by a goddamn kid. Yeah. I mean, I also think of like the contrast with Sarah and how she reacted to seeing her dad kill somebody. Oh, yeah. Then Ellie with her reaction to just literally killing somebody. Oh, my God. Ellie hits him back with, hey, I just saved you. Do you have a thank you for me? Got anything like that? Joel does not. And he's just like, we have to keep moving. Joel, grow up. This is one of the audition scenes of Ellie being like, hey, asshole, I saved your life. Can you give me any compassion? And Joel says no. And... (laughs) It's an important chemistry read here as well, because you get that kind of light, playful energy, and then you get the stress energy of what the stakes are in this world. So this was also used to make sure that Ashley and Troy could reflect that balance between the characters and what they both want and what they need out of this world. And I think also Joel is kind of like what Bill was saying before, where don't make attachments. Yeah. Don't love other people, because otherwise it just leads to death. And Joel's just like, preach, brother. And, like, don't feel indebted to people, clearly, as well. Yeah, and he's seeing what happens when you do. So it's kind of like, keep your distance so that way I don't get hurt again. Right. So quietly, they continue to move through the hotel and make it out to see a field, completely crawling with hunters in kind of a defunct Fedra encampment. We can see kind of lines and stands where they clearly did rations, military shit, all this stuff. Joel takes this beat from a high ground and gives Ellie a rifle to cover him. He's like, I have to go clear it out. It's going to be too difficult if we're not both there because there's so many guys. Stay up here. Take people out if you need to. Make every shot count. Taking her from handgun to rifle, though, is quite the uh, acceleration. It's a big step, especially with the (laughs) kickback. But Ellie says she has shot a rifle before with BBs. What school? God damn. (laughs) She used to shoot rats with BBs at the camp. Oh, got it. (laughs) 
and Joel just goes, rats, babies. <laughs> Clearly not amused, but he's like, you know what? You want more responsibility, kiddo? Go for it. I mean, Luke Skywalker said the same thing, and he blew up the Death Star, so. There you go. As he leaves Ellie up on this landing to cover him with a rifle, he turns to her and he says, to be clear back there, it was me or him. He leaves, and to herself, Ellie just goes, you're welcome. That's the best she's going to get for a thank you from him. Yeah, he's he's a single sad man in a world with no therapy. Yeah. He, doesn't, <laughs> he can't process these emotions. No. It's funny. He's not Irish, which he kind of acts Irish as fuck. <laughs> this is a tenant of being Irish, of just bottling your emotions and never letting anyone in. Right. <laughs> Joel navigates this Fedra encampment of hunters, and out in the open, Ellie can cover him with her rifle, which is great. After the area is clear, Joel and Ellie reconvene together to get the fuck out of Pittsburgh. When they meet up, Joel hands a gun to Ellie and says, this is for emergencies only. But Ellie's like, I have a gun. She's got a gun. Now, within this area, there is a business park building. On the second floor, in a corner, there was a hunter sniper trying to murder Joel. If you go up there, you can find a floor plan replica of the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch. (laughs) It's pretty great, actually, that they put that in. It is about 300 miles away from Scranton, but (laughs) this has most of the entire office layout. You see Pam's desk. I found this on accident. You were in the room and I was like, Tom, I think I found it. Yeah. Well, I'd heard about it being added to the PS5 version, but I really thought you'd have to go out of your way to find it. You really did just stumble on it. Yeah. I was just doing a general like, all right, let's check this room. Let's get all the fucking nuts and bolts here. Oh, shit. You can't see anything. There's no other Easter eggs in there alluding to the office. Like, I was hoping they'd have the painting of the building or something, maybe a bobblehead on the ground. Yeah, they had no other thing that really, like, represented it as being from the office. Picture of Randall Park. Other than maybe the same uh, person who designed the building in Scranton designed this one. Yeah, it's just this Pennsylvania business park man running around throwing circly reception desks everywhere. Right. Now, throughout the game, there are posters for a franchise called Dawn of the Wolf. Sarah had a poster for it in her bedroom at the beginning. And now here in Pittsburgh, you can find billboards and posters for it. And also like across the nation. It's not just Pittsburgh. That's got to be so wild. Like, you had a movie about to come out, and you were about to become a huge star, and the world ended. I know. <laughs> that It's so wild. Now, here in Pittsburgh, Ellie and Joel can come on a billboard for Dawn of the Wolf 2, and Ellie can ask Joel about it. Joel did get dragged to see it, but doesn't tell Ellie that Sarah made him watch it. He's just kind of like, I got dragged to it. Now, I don't have a lot to back this up, aside from anecdotal evidence from Troy Baker, but Troy and Neil did film something in the world of Dawn of the Wolf that was supposed to be used in the game. Really? But they scrapped it because they said it was so bad they couldn't show it publicly, which just makes me want to see it more. Right. (laughs) Anytime they say it was that bad. Yeah, you're like, oh, come on. And then in Last of Us Part 2, in the stash of porn, there is one called Dong of the Wolf. That's appropriate. The rule 34. Yeah. (laughs) So those are fun. And, like, that is a bonus conversation you can have with Ellie they're kind of little things you can unlock if you do specific things but it's always kind of great when Ellie can ask Joel about the old world I think that contrast and that relationship she has with this world she's never known is very interesting I get you deeper in the depths of Pittsburgh Joel and Ellie make their way into an abandoned apartment where Joel is jumped by a man but this guy isn't a hunter and as Joel gets the upper hand and starts beating the shit out of this dude Ellie screams at him to stop Joel looks up and sees a 13-year-old boy pointing a gun at him. 
The man he was kicking the shit out of says, Sam, it's okay. And this is where we meet Sam and Henry. I love Sam and Henry so much. I loved them in the TV show, maybe even more. I think so, too. I have to admit. And I think Neil Druckmann feels the same way. So (laughs) one of the big differences in the TV show is, one, they take Sam, which is the younger brother of the two, and they de-aged him like from, I think he's like 13, 14 here. Yeah, he's 13 here. I think he's about eight or nine in the TV show. Mm -hmm. And he's also deaf. And this was a change that co-showrunner Craig Mazin actually introduced. And as soon as Neil Druckmann heard it, he just goes, go fuck yourself. (laughs) That is such a good fucking idea. I am so mad that I didn't have it myself. (laughs) When you get so overjoyed by a decision, it makes you angry. That's such a good thing in the world. And especially considering what Naughty Dog specifically has done to make these games accessible. Yes, entirely. For people especially that are deaf, for people that are blind, for just everybody to be able to play these games. Mm -hmm. And it's just, he was so angry that that wasn't what they put into the game. (laughs) Entirely. Oh, that's so funny. Here, Henry is played by Brandon Scott, who was on This Is Us, on Dead to Me, which is such a great show, by the way. And he was in Uncharted 4, so he's part of the Naughty Dog Squad now. Okay, nice. He's also the fourth performer cast for this role, the whole cast. So it was Ashley, Troy, Tess, then Henry. They cast in a weird order, I'll tell you that. I know, right? (laughs) Well, they did envision Tess having a larger antagonist role, so it makes sense that they're like, all right, let's put some love into this. But Henry being the fourth person they really wanted to book in was interesting. Now, Sam and Henry are brothers, Henry being the older one that Joel just tried to kill. And they've been holed up for a few days, and they were with a larger group who were also trying to get out of the city to get to the Fireflies out west. The rest of the group hasn't made it. They've passed, and those two are the only ones left. Damn. Sam and Ellie are around the same age. Henry is probably in his early to mid-20s, so there's a bit of an age gap between these brothers. Right, but he would just barely remember the old world. Barely. He probably had a lot from his parents. Now, this is from the performer. This is not from Neil, but Brandon Scott, who plays Henry, has discussed his backstory as Henry. Now, in his world, in his character work for Henry, Henry's mother was sexually assaulted, and that resulted in the birth of Sam. Oh, damn. So Sam is his half-younger brother, and because of this, Henry hated Sam. He saw Sam as a reminder of the pain, the horror, and the torture in this world that particularly women go through. Shit. Because, you know, it's just, it's a small family. This is a world where who you love is all that matters, you know? This is, your family is all you have in this world entirely. So Sam became this beacon of, like, fuck this kid. After their mom passed, Henry was going to leave Sam and just be like, you fucking figure it out. Just abandon the poor child. Abandon the child and leave and just go live his life, go find a firefly compound, not be held back by having to feed and protect this child. And when he tried to do it, he just couldn't. He still looked at him and was like, you're still half my mother. And she wouldn't be proud of me if I left you, despite you just showing me her face and the pain that she went through. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Blood's still blood. Yeah. So... That's all not in the game, to be clear. That is not brought up. That is not within there. But it is within the performer's lore. So I think we accept that as canon. I think you should because that's the thing that's going through his mind when he's creating the character, when he's mm-hmm. developing it, and when he's performing it. Exactly. Yes. So it's it's outside of canon, but it has been confirmed by the performer. 
which is so heartbreaking and wild. Yeah. So they also have this kind of begrudging love and this kind of pained dynamic between the two. Now, it takes some convincing, but Ellie and Joel team up with Sam and Henry to navigate getting out of the city safely and together. I think it's partially because Joel and Henry are like, we have kids. We have to keep them safe. And two adults keeping eyes out are better than one adult keeping an eye out. Totally. They make a plan to get through one of the main checkpoint gates at night, so they bunker down and wait for nightfall. This run doesn't go great, and at one point near the bridge, they all get cornered. With guns blasting and their escape method falling apart, Henry and Sam say they're sorry, but they have to leave. They take off. Joel and Ellie are standing there, still stranded in the corner, while just being completely abandoned, alone. Ellie is like, what the fuck? I mean, that's got to be the hardest part about living in this world Mm -hmm. is when you reach those moments of, I'm sorry, I have to run for my own life and leave you in danger. And Henry making this call as an executive decision as a caretaker for his brother as well. Yeah, Joel would not hesitate to make the same decision. Exactly. Even like without Ellie being there, he would have done the same damn thing. Joel would have just done it recreationally. Yeah. But Ellie is like, what the fuck? And Joel is like, get over here. He opens the door. Now they're in a bar trying to hide from all these hunters that are looking for them to take them apart and assort their authority. Now this bar that they walk into is the same bar that's in Uncharted 3. Really? This is a bar that is in London, canonically there, but the fans have decided that it's a chain, which is why it looks exactly the same (laughs) and has the same layout. Or they just reuse the same asset so they didn't have to rebuild anything. Which makes it a chain. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And it's called O'Sullivan's. Sully being Nathan Drake's like guy in the chair partner for all his treasure running. So there's a little nod there. Okay, so it's like the Obi-Wan Club in Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a note, in Uncharted 3, there's a newspaper that says something along the lines of, scientists are looking into a mysterious virus, which was a deep Easter egg at The Last of Us. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's something that they don't really go too into depth about in the game itself. Mm -hmm. But the TV show goes into a bit more depth. Like, it had to do with getting into the flower crop and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was like a fresh batch of flower that just hit shelves. And so anybody who would actually use that flower is the reason why it got widespread right away. Totally. But I think it's just so funny that Uncharted 3 hints at it. And Uncharted 3 came out two years prior to The Last of Us. Hmm. And it was actually supposed to be removed. I think a dev left it in as like a lulls. And it went out and they were like, well, no one knows we're working on The Last of Us yet, so we'll see if they catch on. It's kind of like a Pixar uh, Easter egg for their next movie kind of thing. Yeah, where you see like a character from the next one hidden somewhere or like a line. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Pixar, which no one's ever said about The Last of Us. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Joel and Ellie don't even have time to be mad at Sam and Henry for ditching them. The hunters are all over them and they are like, Jesus Christ, we have to get the fuck out of Pittsburgh. This sucks. They get back to the bridge, but part of the bridge is completely destroyed and they can't run straight through. Now, Ellie can't swim, which is why she has to be carried around and done all this shit like you talked about on the pallets with the water. But she says there's no time and just jumps into the raging river down below. Joel is like, Ellie, you can't swim. (laughs) Dives in after her and they slosh around in these raging waters below the bridge. Joel swims up to Ellie to hold her head up above the water and then everything goes black. Oh, shit. Joel wakes up on a beach and sees Sam. And Sam goes, Henry! Henry says, see, what did I tell you? We're fine. (laughs) Sam spotted you, but before he can finish, Joel jumps up to hit him and shove him to the ground and then pulls a pistol on Henry. 
I mean, again, like, Joel would have done the same damn thing. And if you see a Henry in a video game, you have to love him. You've Leave my man alone. Always got to keep a Henry safe. I love Henry in Firewatch, which is canonical <laughs> to this universe. I love Henry in Bendy and the Ink Machine. He's 60 years old and he's kicking ass. I love Henry in The Last of Us. He's just making shit work and making executive decisions. And poor Henry in Five Nights at Freddy's. He has the most tragic story of them all. I mean, out of this group, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Although Henry Last of Us still a pretty tragic backstory. <laughs> I just described some of the most horrific shit in the world to you, and you're like, yeah, but the guy with the pizza shop, man, that shit sucks. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Henry says, I cannot put Sam in danger. We made a call. You'd make the same call. We still saved you from drowning. Which is very matter of fact. Ellie says, it's true, Joel, they saved us. And the team is all back together, even if Henry keeps getting almost killed by Joel. Joel is just a rage machine. He is. That is valid. Yeah, he is just like zero to 60. Fully. Lots of rage issues here. They all start to navigate to a radio tower that Henry heard is full of supplies and stuff. And it's like a good stopping point for travelers. And he's like, hey, man, you're going to be so glad you didn't kill me. (laughs) Joel's like, (laughs) they start navigating the beach and find a sewage plant that seems like the best way to get through to the main roads. It is disgusting. The sewers are clearly once inhabited within an encampment. There's a lot of, like, kid stuff and drawings. There's, like, bunk beds, like, buckets and shit, like, tons of stuff, but there's no signs of people, which is bad because it means they're not here anymore, but it means they probably are infected. Yeah, that's not a good sign. The group of four make it through puzzles of the sewers and ends with them finally getting out near a small town. I don't want to get in the sewers because it kind of sucks and it's just a lot of puzzles, but... There is a very interesting kind of, I don't even want to say NPC. There's like a ghost of a character that we follow through the notes that we find called Ish. Ish is a survivor who actually helps set up this encampment and brings in people from the neighboring town to kind of create this bunker within the sewers to all be safe from the infected. They call him Ish the hero and like Ish the savior and stuff. Like it's very sweet. Yeah. Gamers really latched on to this side story. Yeah. It's really cool. Anyway, the group of four get out and they're again they're on the outskirts of the small town and on the door that they exit from the sewer system just on the wall where this door is they come out they turn around and the wall is painted with the phrase warning infected inside do not open (laughs) fuck you door oh why did they not put it on the other side of the building as well (laughs) that's where the infected were Tom right In the fresh air, the four of them start making their way into the city. There's rows of abandoned houses and even some feral dogs around, which are very rare to see. Yeah, you haven't seen many animals at all. It's quiet for a bit until it's not. They go down a street and a hunter sniper is holed up in a house down the road. Joel sneaks through cars and houses, taking out more and more hunters who are on their fucking like satellite office over here on this (laughs) side of the bridge. And just takes more of them out so that the group can kind of move forward and get through this town. Joel is able to get all the way through, take out the sniper, make sure like, phew, okay, we got all those motherfuckers dead. We're good. But all the gunfire from the sniper did attract a horde of infected. More and more affected and just these dumbasses and their loud noises. So Joel is up there in the sniper's booth with the little sniper rifle. And Henry, Sam, and Ellie go from hiding behind cars, waiting for Joel to quietly kill everyone to running to Joel for their lives with Joel giving them cover from above. Oh, this sequence is great. It is very fun. The four meet up and make it out of the hunter-infected and drenched area, leaving most of Pittsburgh behind and hoping to move across the country together and safely. 
The team holds up in an abandoned house, and Joel ends up telling Henry a story about he and his brother Tommy rode Harleys across the country together. And the scene is actually improv by Troy Baker to build out his backstory with Tommy. Really? That they went and had like a full-blown like... Brother trip? Brother trip across the country, like Easy Rider style and shit, just... I thought you were going to say Wild Hogs. Oh, Wild Hogs, yeah. (laughs) Actually, the Joel and Tommy version would be more Wild Hogs than Easy Rider, but they would think that they're being like Dennis Hopper and Easy Rider and being cool, like Jack Nicholson shit. Babe, you are Tim Allen. Yeah. (laughs) And William H. Macy. Yeah. Come on, babe. Ellie's overhearing all the boy talk, and she's like, I'm going to go check on Sam, who's in another room taking stock of the food they have left, being like, oh, we're good on peaches. Sam is kind of melancholy in this room and asks Ellie what she thinks happens when people start to turn, if they're still in there or if they're entirely gone. Henry was told that once you turn, you're gone and somewhere else, like in heaven or something. Ellie says she'd like to believe in that, but she goes back and forth. Ellie says she's tired and turns to leave to go to sleep, leaving Sam alone in the room with his peaches. The next morning, Joel and Henry are cooking up some breakfast, and they're saying, oh, we let Sam sleep in for once. It's been a good day. What could possibly go wrong? Ellie goes to wake him up for breakfast, and from the other room, Joel and Henry hear a scream. Sam, fully infected, lunges and attacks Ellie. Joel runs to grab his gun, but Henry already has his and shoots at Joel, warning him not to shoot his brother. Henry says, that's my little brother. Joel looks at Ellie being attacked and says, screw it lunges again for his gun. Henry pulls the trigger again, this time killing Sam. He bursts into tears, saying that's his brother. He says it's all Joel's fault. Joel says it's no one's fault and tries to calm him down and to get the gun out of his hands. But it's too late. The next bullet fired is Henry's, and it's into his own head. The summer ends with Henry and Sam. Oh, this scene is so powerful and so important in terms of like the development of the rest of the series, too, because what Joel has just witnessed was a man who dedicated his entire life to keeping somebody else alive Mm -hmm. and keeping them safe. And then he watched them lose that person. And like to Joel, now he has dedicated his life to keeping somebody safe. And if he loses that person, he will surely lose himself. Yeah. Like, there's nothing left if Ellie's not there. Yeah. And this is the first time he's really seeing that. Right. Ugh, it's so fucked. It's all just so fucked. Yeah. Ugh. It just breaks my heart every time. And I think before I played this game and we did the episode, this did make me really emotional. Because I was like, wait, why are they killing everyone? (laughs) You're like, you don't understand what's happening in this game if you're surprised by all the death. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... It's a struggle to see a child die. Yeah. And like the fact that Henry's reaction to it was really more to protect Ellie. Mm -hmm. Like he was watching another child about to get killed. And so he did what he had to do as a human being and stopped that child from getting killed. But in the process, killed his own brother. Right. And the weight of that decision is so fucking heavy. And it carries through the rest of the series, I think. I I absolutely agree. And it's also very well done in the show, which I'm going to say a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the show is damn near perfect. The show is very well done. Honest to God, the way they captured everything, I would just say more clickers would have been nice. But yeah, I really wanted to see more bloaters and shit. I'm already horrified at the Rat King we're going to see in season two. Oh, yeah. Maybe season three if they stretch it. Like Super exciting. (sighs) Fall 2033. 
On the outskirts of Jackson, Ellie and Joel walk through the rain towards where they think Tommy may be. Ellie asks what happened between Joel and Tommy, and Joel reveals that Tommy's last words to Joel were, I don't ever want to see your goddamn face again. (laughs) So not something good. So they are not on good terms right now as brothers. (laughs) No, they're, they're having a bit of a tiff. They come up on a water power plant that takes river water's movement and turns it into electricity. No one, Joel and myself included, know exactly how it works. <laughs> but coming up on the large opening of the gates of the water plant, Joel and Ellie figure they can get through to Jackson if they can make it through this plant. Jackson isn't where Tommy allegedly is, and Joel's really hopeful that he can find Tommy for help with the fireflies and Ellie, since Joel's never been a firefly, but Tommy went through a firefly phase, so a hopefully. phase. <laughs> yeah. He wore the jacket, you know. Right. At the gates, guns are pulled on Ellie and Joel. They put their hands up and they say, hey, we mean no harm. We're just traveling through. And the people guarding the gate say to drop their guns. Joel's like, yep, yep, put the guns down. It's fine. Ellie, drop your gun. A voice rings out and says, they're all right. This blonde woman at the top says, do you know them? The voice comes back again and says, I know him. That's my goddamn brother. That's just such a cheesy like. Yeah. It's a pretty cheesy line. Yeah. The gates open and Tommy comes through and hugs Joel. Joel hugs him back. The blonde woman comes down and is like, oh, damn, I'm glad I didn't shoot you. That'd be embarrassing considering you're my brother-in-law. Oh, like, honestly, was this the first scene written? This one's a little ham-fisted, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this is like screenwriting 101 just dumping exposition onto you. (laughs) Let me insert how I know you into a full sentence. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? If this is the weakest point in the script, I'm not that mad about it. That's fair. And it probably is, to be real. I can't think of a time that's weaker than this. And it was initiated by dumbass Tommy, so... Tommy is not the smartest character we meet in the series. (laughs) We elaborate on this in our episode on (laughs) The Last of Us Part 2, but I think we do scream about dumbass Tommy making dumbass decisions quite a bit in that one. Yeah. Now, the woman who almost shot Joel and Ellie is Maria, who runs the town of Jackson. Maria is played by Ashley Scott, who originally came in for Tess. Now, Maria is the baddest bitch in a game full of bad bitches. Do not let this dialogue fool you. Right. No, Maria is like the strongest of the strong women. Like we were saying before, the Miller boys need to find themselves with strong women. And I think Tommy found the strongest of them all. Absolutely. Now, Maria has organized a ton of survivors to create an encampment with hot water electricity and community three things that do not happen in this world right there is a ton of them up at the water power plant trying to get it up and running again so they can keep their community growing and moving and you know they were using the power to have an electric fence to keep out both scavengers and infected this is how great this community is and they don't need fucking generators to do it no they can use the the water Yeah. (laughs) It's genius. And, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this earlier about how people would probably create encampments near areas where you can naturally find renewable energy. Like in California by Palm Springs, there's a big patch of, was it wind farms? Yeah. They're called wind farms where there's a bunch of windmills. Yeah, the big ass windmills. Yeah, where they generate a ton of power. Like we figured Palm Springs would be fine after the apocalypse. If you've played GTA 5 and gone out to Sandy Shores, you've seen the same exact wind farm. Right, yeah. Trevor would be completely fine in this world. Trevor can't be killed by anything. Right. (laughs) The infection may start with Trevor, actually. Right, he started it. He's immune to all the cannibalism. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> Spoilers for GTA Five, <laughs> also came out in 2013, I believe. But wow, I know 2013 was a chef's kiss year for gaming. Really was. So anyway, Maria, brilliant creator, brilliant woman, runs an entire town of survivors and keeps people alive for fucking SMGs because she sure shouldn't get paid for it. Like. She's the coolest person ever. Yeah. Maria invites Joel and Ellie in to feed them and let them get settled in a safe place. And Joel is frankly just bewildered to see Tommy after so long. It's been years, clearly. Yeah. Ellie sees a horse and is like, oh, fuck yeah, I love horses. Uh, All the horses in The Last of Us are named by Neil's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of beautiful. Now, Tommy is played by Jeffrey Pierce, one of the few performers who came over from the game into the HBO series. There's like four or five performers who actually do make the jump because they're frankly so iconic. Like, how could you not? And it's just good Easter eggs. Yeah. You know? And straight up, they're great performers. It's not like a voice actor who has a weird body or, (laughs) which is a strange thing to say. I apologize. Or like, you know, who can't do the face acting the way they can do the vocal acting. These are all incredible performers. Yeah, and what was really cool about a lot of them is they got to play original characters. Yes, many of them did, including Tommy's uh, Jeffrey Pierce playing kind of the right hand in, oh God, is it Kansas City? So Kansas City replaced Pittsburgh in the TV series. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of after Sam and Henry in the TV series, but... He played the right hand of the woman that was after Sam and Henry. Right. Big now, ass beard. If you remember the guy with the big ass beard and a gun. Oh, it's a, I literally have a note that says he has a glorious beard. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jeffrey Pierce originally auditioned for Joel, and he l- said he left that audition being like, I fucking nailed it. <laughs> I left it all on the table. I could not have given a better delivery of that character. Ashley had already been cast, so he did come to read with Ashley as Joel, and he was just like, I don't know how I could not book this job. And then he didn't book the job. Two years after the audition, he got a call back. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No, I can I never can... be an actor. Oh, I hate waiting three days after an interview if I didn't get the fucking job. Girl, I hate ordering things on overnight delivery and waiting the night. I can't. <laughs> the patience performers must have just to get through the action of booking jobs is true hell. I could not. Like, at that point, you've forgotten you auditioned for that. Right? So anyway, two years after that audition, Neil calls him and is like, do you want to play Tommy? Let's do Tommy. You can be the brother of the character you thought you nailed. Troy Baker, who plays Joel, said that they never auditioned anyone for Tommy. Neil just had Jeffrey Pierce on file and was like, yeah, I think he should play Tommy based on that Joel audition. Wow, just bookmarked him. Yeah, and just never had anyone else read for it. He's like, he's gettable, so... (laughs) he could wait two years for this yeah when troy and jeffrey met neil introduced jeffrey to troy as the other guy who auditioned for joel oh my god pitting them against each other right out the gate it's just such an awkward way to have these two meet and then try and build the brother bond what the fuck that's pretty funny upon working together though jeffrey was like oh no i get troy as joel for sure fully get that not even mad about it that was much better casting. Good job, guys. Yeah, he was like, I did a great job, but I see Troy as Joel. And yeah, that's completely fair. So they've had kind of an interesting <laughs> road with both the characters and each other, but I, they get along quite well now. I got a lot of my Easter eggs from 
Retro Replay, which was a show that is now defunct, but it had Nolan North and Troy Baker, two incredible performers, playing video games together. And they would do a lot of their own games. So they did the Uncharted games, obviously did The Last of Us. And during The Last of Us run, they would bring in performers like Jeffrey Pierce came on and told that story. And he and Troy were laughing their asses off being like, uh, are you good? <laughs> do, are we, do we have any beef? Like... Should we go have a coffee and talk this out? Like they clearly get along great. There's nothing weird between them. They are they both seem absolutely lovely, but I think that's just such a wonderful story of him coming into being a Miller boy. It just sounds like they became such a family. It's so cliche to say, but oh, they I really know. did. Yeah. Now, Joel and Tommy walk off to connect while Maria takes Ellie to go get her fed. She's like, "You look like you haven't eaten in days." And Ellie was like, "I know." I haven't but I'm going to pet this horse real quick because I'm a fucking horse girl. Now, Tommy says he went through their old house a little while ago in Austin and he pulled something out for Joel and he tries to give Joel a photo of Joel and Sarah at a soccer game that he salvaged. Oof. Joel looks down and says, I'm good and denies the photo. Ouch. Which, Just holy shit, man. Talk about burying. Yeah. Tommy's like, what? Really? <sighs> anyway. They continue through this plant as Tommy has to oversee some of the operations as they catch up. He's like, we need to talk, but like, I need to make sure we're getting this plant running. Otherwise, I can't get the fence on tonight. You know what I mean? Right. Priorities. You you caught me at work, man. <laughs> Tommy says the compound he has is incredible. There's food, clean water, that electric fence. <laughs> it's just a great situation they have. And they even come up on a very good boy, a dog named Buckley. And they pet him, and Tommy says Buckley's not much of a guard dog, but he's a very good boy. Aw, Buckley. And Joel agrees. Buckley is a very good boy. Neil Druckmann actually asked Troy Baker what the dog should be named, and Troy asked Neil if he could name the dog Buckley after his beloved dog who had recently passed. That's beautiful. So in the game, after Buckley's passing, Troy got to say goodbye to Buckley as Joel, and that's commemorated in this game. That's pretty beautiful. Right. And since you're talking about another animal, I want to talk real fast about something. And that is the fact that there are no animals that get infected by this. Yeah, there were some original sketches of like an elephant that was infected and a couple other animals that had the virus. But at the end of the day, they were like, this is too much. <laughs> and I think it's something that the TV show actually went on to explain better again than the video game did. And I guess it's just because we got to separate ourselves from Ellie and Joel in the TV series. Mm -hmm. And it's in the very first episode. And he talks about how the fungus can't survive inside of a human body because it will die before it hits 98.6 degrees. But through global warming, the fungus will evolve naturally to start to be able to resist that and then can live inside of a human host. Oh. Animals tend to be a few degrees higher than humans even. So we are evolutionarily decades out from that ever affecting animals potentially. Most likely, yeah. But at the same time, I mean like, in the show, they had that guy talking about it in the 60s and then in the thousands it hits. So we're almost going to catch up to another 10 years in the game. But we also weren't producing all the bullshit that was causing the planet to warm up. So maybe they'd be OK. That's true. <laughs> There's no more uh, sweatshops pumping like burning plastic into the air and shit fucking up the ozone or whatever. But yeah, it had to do with global warming. Interesting. Now, Joel and Tommy hole up in a separate room and Tommy is like, all right, why'd you leave Boston? and What's going on with the girl? Joel explains that the girl is immune to the virus and he's seen her breathe spores that would kill a dozen men and she is fine. 
Tommy's like, sure, okay. And it's kind of like, I'll bite. Tell me what, what the fuck, man. Joel says he's supposed to deliver her to the Fireflies. And you know what? Tommy, if you take her, you can take the entire payment. Tommy's like, well, there hasn't been a Firefly out here in years. What the hell? Like, I have a family here. I can't just, like, up and leave to go see the Fireflies? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, he's like, that's my ex-group. I'm not, like, with them anymore. Yeah. I've got a pretty sweet deal here. Joel says, look, I need this. And he starts to demand it out of his baby brother. Tommy says he's not going to take the girl off his hands. What the fuck? And then Joel dangles the fact that he kept Tommy alive for years in front of him. That he's bringing the cure for mankind to his feet and asking for help. And that Tommy's just being a pissy little brother. Really? He's the one being pissy? Now, this sweet moment of Joel demanding Tommy to finish his job that he took is cut short as marauders come into the compound to attack. Which makes sense, because like these Jackson people, they are flush with supplies, food, resources. And, you know, some people are dicks. They're going to come after you. But also, that's probably why, like, the power plant shut down. They probably booby-trapped it and was, like, to draw them out so that way they could attack. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not fair, but I get you. That's what happened, probably. Tommy asks Joel if he still remembers how to kill people. And the boys get to work taking out the invaders. Which is also such a snarky thing. Like, you remember how to kill people? Like, how the fuck you think I got here? I got here from Boston, bitch. Like, yes, I'm fine. (laughs) Right. A third of the way across the country. After the shootout, Tommy and Joel come up on Maria and Ellie, who are staying safe in a separate room. Tommy tells Maria he needs to talk to her. In the next scene, we see Maria screaming, absolutely not, at Tommy. (laughs) Ellie puts together that Joel asked Tommy for help moving Ellie across the country to the Fireflies. Maria is screaming that she's not going to be a widow or risk getting infected or losing him, but eventually walks away and says, fine. She comes up to Joel and starts screaming that if anything happens to Tommy, it's on Joel. Which is true, to be real. Oh, fully. Here's the thing about Maria, too. And like, you know, as we heard first was that Tommy, the last time he saw Joel, said, I never want to fucking see you again. Yeah. And then he saw him again. And so you can imagine Maria has not heard the greatest stories about Joel. True. The pillow talk about, hey, where are you from? He's probably like, my brother kind of sucks. And this isn't the nicest thing to say about Joel and people might push back on it. But Joel is a combination of two of the most dangerous things. And that is dumb and stubborn. And Maria knows that. Yeah. (laughs) Peripherally. Yeah. She's like, "I'm, I'm married to your brother. I know how dumb and stubborn your family can get. And from everything (laughs) I heard, you're worse than Tommy. Yeah. So Maria just really kind of lays into Joel for this. And there's a lot of times actually in the TV show where Pedro Pascal would come to Neil Druckmann and be like, I don't know if Joel would really react this way. And and he would have to say, I hate telling you this. Joel's just not that smart. (laughs) Neil said that. Yeah. (laughs) Neil would say that. And you just have to explain like, I'm sorry, but. Joel's just not that smart. I know you want him to be, but he's just not that smart. I know Pedro is, but Joel isn't. Yeah, you'd have to explain that every once in a while about things. And like, that's the thing that Maria sees. She sees that he is dumb and stubborn. And that is a very, very dangerous combination. Yeah, because Maria, in contrast, incredibly level-headed, calculated, balanced, knows how to be a leader without hurting others. 
Yeah. Joel has none of that quality. Not at all. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I never thought about the complexity of Maria's personal connection and being like, I know he's a dumbass. Don't do this. Yeah. Joel is hearing all of this and just gets so annoyed with everyone. And is like, I fucking hate everything. I'm 50. I'm exhausted. I'm just asking for help. And then Tommy gets told that Ellie has taken one of the camp's horses and run away off campus. Tommy and Joel are like, God damn it. <laughs> and grab horses to go after her. While they're out looking for Ellie, they get ambushed again by marauders and have to continue to shoot their way out. So these motherfuckers were like out to get the Jackson team. Yeah. Tommy spots the horse that was missing and it's parked outside of this gorgeous ranch house. Joel goes in and finds Ellie in what used to be a little girl's room. Tommy is like, I'm going to stay out of this one. <laughs> Ellie is reading a diary and says, is this all they had to worry about? Boys and skirts and shit? Joel's like, get up. We have to go. She says, well, what if I say no? Joel is like, look, you're immune. Let's go fucking save humanity. This is more important. Also, Tommy knows this area and we need to move you. He knows the fireflies. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Ellie confronts Joel and says, what are you afraid of? She tells him, you need to admit that you always wanted to get rid of me. Oof. Ellie breaks a little bit and she goes, I'm not Sarah. That everyone she's ever cared for has left or died. Everyone except for you, Joel. She shoves him. That if she left with Tommy, she'd just be more scared. Joel is stoic and says, you're right. You're not my daughter and I'm not your dad. And that at the end of this, they're going their separate ways. Oof, that is so brutal to say to her. This like, is one of Troy Baker's favorite scenes. <laughs> it's an important scene, honestly. Mm -hmm. And like Craig Mason even said for the TV show, they needed to do it identical to the game. There was nothing they should change about it. Like, wow, it was so incredible. And there's a part actually where she's yelling at Joel and Nellie shoves him. Mm -hmm. And apparently they had been taking that day and they were doing that scene over and over and over again. And finally, like after like the 30th take, they're like, can we just take a break? And then they came back and Ashley shoved him. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that's the take. That was the only take she did it too. Yeah, it was the only time she shoved him was in the final take. And that was, the, they're like, okay, that's the perfect way to do this. And then they were able to move on from there. It's when she says, everyone except for fucking you. Yeah. Just to emphasize like, why am I constantly abandoned and you keep trying to do this to me and you're the only person I feel safe with anymore. Like, fuck you, man. Yeah, and then, like, the grammar police on that even, like, rang inside Neil's head about the way where she dropped the fucking in that sentence. But he's like, no, she's a little girl and her brain is just moving so quickly that it just dropped it in the middle of the wrong place. Right. And that is perfect. <laughs> oh, no. I've, I've heard Ashley and Troy tell that story as well and it's just... I feel like it was so, it affected them so heavily to experience that together. That yeah. They were like, oh, this is one of the make or breaks of their relationship. This is beautiful. Fully. But yeah, that, I think that's also why Troy loves this scene so much. He's like, holy shit, this is acting. Yeah, it was a personal moment for them too. Yeah. Now, Tommy interrupts this beautiful moment by saying that marauders are in the house and to get ready. Ellie kind of nods, takes this, and just starts to squat down near the boys, having to take this role of quietly following them through again, because that's all she has right now. Tommy and Joel shoot their way out, and the three of them, Tommy, Joel, and Ellie, start to ride back to Jackson, each on a horse. Just outside of town, Joel stops them and asks Tommy where the fireflies are. Tommy says, the University of Eastern Colorado, in a big building that looks like a mirror. 
Joel tells Ellie to get off her horse and return it to Tommy because he's not going to take two horses with him. That's just greedy. <laughs> Ellie does so and then gets on the back of Joel's horse. Tommy's like, are you sure you don't want to swing by town for supplies? Like, I can get you a sandwich or fucking something. Like, please? Bullets? They have no idea how nice Jackson actually is, though. Jackson is such a beautiful town. And they really wanted to do a scene in Jackson, but the money just wasn't there. Yeah. Joel tells Tommy he's afraid of that wife of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so. And he needs to go do this. Tommy promises him that there will always be a place in Jackson for him. Ellie, relieved and feeling safe again, rides on the back of Joel's horse off together towards Colorado to the Fireflies. It's fascinating how many times Joel has to accept this mission that he took. Yeah. You he, know? He, he adopted it from a previous... It's like when someone gets fired and you have to take on their work. Yeah. Uh, Tess gets killed and he has to absorb her workload. Yeah. And like he keeps trying to offload it onto other people or just somewhere else. And he's just like, oh, this fucking goalpost just keeps getting pushed further and further away. Further west. Too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just turning into like, OK, now we're going to Colorado and all this. You know, we're going to go further than that. We're not done with the game yet. So uh, it's a whole ass thing. But now Ellie's like, he heard me. Yeah. He's doing this for me now. OK, I can. We're we did build on this relationship because now we're in the fall. We started in the summer like. We are a couple months in. Right. At the campus of UEC, Joel and Ellie on horseback, just chatting. Ellie's named the horse Callus, and Joel hates that name. (laughs) The campus has some infected students who are bunkered down and still got bitten, but for the most part, the campus is deserted, so just, you know, some infected, nothing crazy. And another Henry from another game actually went to this school. Um, actually, <laughs> he finds a jacket, a sweatshirt from University of Eastern Colorado in a bo- lockbox within the map of Firewatch. Ah, so he didn't go there. No, it is not implied that he went there. I think it's implied he went to UC Boulder. Oh, okay. Because his wife taught there, and I think he kind of went to school and then hung out and just became a townie in Boulder. I believe I can very well be wrong, but I, that's where I'm leaning, but... Um, actually, it is not confirmed that he went to UEC. He just found the sweater. But the Firewatch universe is in the Last of Us universe. Correct. Based on this. And this universe should have Mike Trapp call me to be on Um, Actually, because it's all I dream about, and I love Dropout TV, and I would do almost anything to be on Um, Actually, and eventually weasel my way into Game Changer. Everybody, this is called manifesting. (laughs) Oh, I hope so. I just, I love this game so much, and I would love to just be a piece of shit about pedantic statements about it (laughs) (laughs) truly my calling anyway there's a generator i think there's a couple generators here i believe there's two in this area of the map so goddamn generator i'm sorry (laughs) her generator counts up to three or four here now joel and ellie actually talk about what they wanted to be when they grew up ellie's like you know in the real world you know no cordyceps i think i'd want to be an astronaut that'd be fucking sick okay And Joel's like, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a singer. And Ellie immediately is like, please sing for me. Please, 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 please. And he's like, absolutely fucking not. Remember when I said Joel's dumb? Yes. He was 29 when this whole world fell apart. (laughs) Did he really think he was going to become a rock star after that? Well, it was when he was a kid. Okay. (laughs) He's like, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a singer. That's fair. He's not 35 being like, what if I took up singing now that like... 
I don't know, Kelly Clarkson's dead or right. zombie. <laughs> There's a hole there. Justin Bieber got bit, so now there, yeah, I can be Nathan Drake someday and sing my way into the Uncharted universe. Like, that's not a thing. I went to a Pearl Jam concert, actually, like, the day before the outbreak, and I heard this great song. Oh. Nobody else has heard it. I can just claim that as my own. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard Neil talk about the, uh, the Future Days sequence, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but... It's actually kind of funny that you bring that up because these jobs are based on what Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker wanted to be when they were kids. She did say that she was a huge, like, astronaut fan and space fan and stuff. Astronaut fan. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's such a wild thing to say to be like, Sally ride forever. And she was. Hell yeah, Sally rides the shit. But early in development, as Neil was kind of getting to know these performers, he's like, what did you guys want to be when you were kids? And he worked that into the game kind of fill out their world and make it more of a buy-in, which is kind of cool. No, that's great. So many elements of the actors made their way into the characters. Oh, totally. Now, once you're in the right building, it kind of looks like no one's there. The building is quiet and the rooms are trashed. Ellie notes that they don't see any bodies, which is a good thing though, right? But they do hear a crash. They are not alone. Oh, no. Joel investigates, gun in hand, and finds a pack of monkeys. Wild monkeys. Yeah. They've either escaped or invaded. It's kind of not clear where the monkeys came from, but it's very jarring to run into a bunch of monkeys. Like it's goddamn Jumanji. Yeah, the implication being that they were like at a college, so that means they were being experimented on, probably. Twenty years ago? Yeah, twenty years ago. And then they just, you know, escaped their prisons and then remultiplied and took over the area. Yeah. Ellie's like, well, maybe during all that research they turned into fucking monkeys. <laughs> Which I just I love that as a line. They investigate a bit further and find one rotting corpse in a firefly jacket. Next to him is a voice recorder, which says, if you're looking for the fireflies, they've all left. It's his last words, his last testament, which Joel fast forwards through because fuck that shit. <laughs> but he does say that the rest of the fireflies have left for Salt Lake City. As they're like, oh, God damn it, that's so far away. <laughs> Something gets thrown through the window. And now they know for sure it's not just the monkeys here. There's looters in the building looking for supplies. And they begin to attack Joel and Ellie. Goodness gracious. Joel and Ellie scuffle with some of the looters, but one shoves Joel off of a ledge, and Joel becomes impaled on a loose pipe. Oh, yeah, it's like a, it's like rebar or something sticking up out of the ground. It's, oh, right through his stomach. It's so gnarly. Did you watch this when I just played through this the other night? Yeah, I did. I didn't realize how thick that pipe is. It's probably three and a half inches across, which yeah. may not sound like a lot, but it's a lot when it goes through your back guts and then out your stomach he is fully impaled through the guts yeah it's pretty oh it's so gross and it's very hard to play because as joel you can't focus even if you're like i'm gonna shoot and aim the game won't let you which is also very difficult when you hit that wall of you can't work the same way you want to which is also the pain of being in pain you know right Ugh, it's so bad and ellie gets to him she pulls him up but he is like i said all kinds of fucked up he is clutching the blood pouring out of him as Ellie brings him towards the horse to try and get them the fuck out of here. The shit is not safe if they're getting jumped. Joel collapses as Ellie shoots her way out of the campus and drags him to safety. Ellie is able to get Joel up on the horse and they ride off and away from the campus, leaving a trail of blood behind. Oof. Now between this section and what happens next, 
is canonically the Last of Us Left Behind DLC. So on the Last of Us Left Behind DLC episode that we cover on our Patreon, I also cover the American Dreams comics, which Neil Druckmann wrote and published prior to the launch of this game. That kind of gives Ellie her backstory and how she met Riley, how she got infected, all this wild shit that kind of leads up and goes along with Left Behind, which is also the story of how Ellie got infected. They do an incredible episode of this on HBO. Take a fucking shot every time I say that, I guess. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) And it's also what's fascinating is like part of that comic that he was writing, we had talked about in our Patreon episode how there is this image of a pregnant woman on a comic book panel. And that was supposed to be Ellie's mom. And there's this whole story that never got told. Yes. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's in Uncharted 4 in Nathan Drake's daughter's room. There's a poster called American Dreams with a pregnant woman with a gas mask on. And it's clearly in the Last of Us universe. Okay. So there's that whole thing. So they actually told that story, though, in the TV series, which is, again, the biggest difference between the TV show and the video game. They actually tell you why Ellie's immune. Yes, and that is alluded to in the game. There is a note from Ellie's mom that you can find in Ellie's backpack. Okay. Um, I believe it's coming up in this section here where Joel re-encounters her backpack after she's separated from it, which I will not get into yet. But that note from Anna, who is definitively Ellie's mom, that's confirmed by Marlene and Ellie, obviously, with this note, says, you know, you've been born for two minutes and you're already the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it goes on and it implies that she's been bitten and she doesn't have much time left. Right. So that is the only implication we has is that Ellie's mom wrote her a letter as she was dying. Perhaps she was infected. It is not clearly stated. And then that story is extrapolated on in the show to be like, here's clearly everything that happened. Ellie's mom was bitten as she was in fucking labor. Can you imagine? Like, First of all, labor with no epidural. Right. Second of all. <laughs> she was running from infected while in physical labor giving birth. Ugh. Managed to kill the infected, but she did get bit and she severed that umbilical cord right away. And so it's just in that moment, she got just enough of the virus in her to cause like an immune, it's literally a vaccine. Right. Like that's how vaccines work. It was just enough that her body was able to fight it off for the rest of her life. It was a DIY vaccine. And so that is the reason canonically why Ellie is immune to this entire thing. Right. Ugh, it's, they just don't give you enough in the games. And Ashley Johnson got to play the mother of Ellie. Because she is the mother of Ellie, baby. Exactly. In so many different ways, like we've been talking about, where it's just parts of her real life are also making their way into the game. I love it. It's so good. But now, as Joel is almost dead, we have winter 2033. It's snowy and cold and alone in the mountains. We see a cute, fluffy rabbit come out of the snow and mind its business when an arrow slices through it, killing it. Ellie walks over, picks it up, and says, this won't last very long, and she ties it to her horse. She then sees a deer and chases after it, and now, for the first time, we play as Ellie. Ellie draws her bow and starts to follow this deer, and she manages to shoot it. But it's not fatal, and she follows the trail of blood in the snow to find her deer. This deer runs for so damn long. At one point, she's literally like, how are you still alive? (laughs) Chasing this fucking dying deer through the forest who's just bleeding out profusely. Like, you literally follow the trail of blood to find this deer. Gallons of blood this thing lost. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. 
Ellie comes up on a cabin that's decrepit, falling apart, missing walls, but it looks like the deer went through here. Ellie starts to get nervous, saying, this isn't creepy at all, as she navigates to find her deer. This cabin leads to more cabins, so it's kind of a little mountain area, and she finally sees her dead deer in the snow. She goes up to it, bow at the ready, but then hears footsteps behind her. Ellie whips around and says, come out, and out come two men. One is David, and the one with him is James. They introduce themselves and say they're from a nearby camp with lots of women and lots of children who are very hungry. Ellie says she's from a camp with lots of people, too. They ask if she'd be down to trade something for the food, anything. They have lots of resources. Ellie says, medicine, I need antibiotics. They ask if she can come with them to get it, and she immediately says, no, I'm not going to a second location with you. Fuck that. Damn right. David says, it's okay, and Ellie tells James to go get the meds and come back alone, and she and David will watch the deer. And if David tries fucking anything, she'll put one between his eyes. David agrees and tells James to run off, get some penicillin, and he'll stay here with the deer and the girl. Now, David is played by the BAFTA award-winning Nolan North. (laughs) He is an icon. And he vanishes into this role. He doesn't sound like Nathan Drake. He doesn't sound like any of his other characters. Doesn't even sound like himself. Oh, I know. And that was the point. Neil wanted him to disappear in this role. Well, yeah, yeah. You don't want Nathan Drake playing this character. Yeah. So Nolan North based his David voice on David Strahan from LA Confidential. He's in some of the Bourne movies. Due to his kind eyes and this like soft-spoken authority he had, you know? Yeah, the soft-spokenness of David. It's so creepy. Yeah. And buddy boy James, David's right-hand man, is played in the HBO series by Troy Baker. He is. That's where he got to come in and play a character. Which is fun. Prior to the release of The Last of Us Part 1, Jeff Keighley was interviewing the game director, Bruce Straley, and Neil Druckmann, the creative director. And he, you know, they're from the Naughty Dog world. They're from the Uncharted universe. So Jeff jokingly said, haha, who's Nolan North playing? Bruce Straley got wildly defensive oh. and is like, who told you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought the secret of Nolan North's role was leaked when Jeff fully just made a fucking joke. <laughs> and uh. Neil credits this as like awkward, but one of the funniest fucking things. <laughs> He's like, you just told me with your response. Yeah, he's like, bro, play it cool, dummy. Which, like, this was a pre-Spider-Man No Way Home world. We didn't know how to lie to the press yet. Right. Andrew Garfield hadn't played his big game of mafia with the press, you know? Like, we didn't get there, but I think that's so fucking funny. All he was thinking is, like, who do I get to sue for breaking an NDA? Yeah, he's like... Was it my assistant who fucking told you? <laughs> was it one of the bookers? Like, did the booker who got us on here, like, let it leak? Damn it, Dumois. Yeah, <laughs> Dumois, but for Naughty Dog <laughs> games. Can you imagine? It's just me following it. But, yeah, Neil Druckmann wanted Nolan, obviously, because they worked together on a couple of Uncharted. Nolan North is just a great person from what I've heard. I've only heard good things about this person as a performer and as someone to work with. So. I mean, his nickname's Uncle Noli. Yeah, you got. he just looks huggable. Like, he's just a sweet man. There are no creepy stories about him, knock on wood, so far. But, like, I think he's a good guy. He That's what he gives, you know? Seems like it so far. Neil was like, man, I just really want you to disappear into this role. So we're going to keep everything under wraps. Like, don't tell people you're coming out. We're not bringing you out on. We're not going to announce you in the cast. We're not bringing you out on press. It's a secret. Now, in the credits at the end of the game... 
Nolan actually gets the and Nolan North as David treatment. Damn, nice. Good for him. And Nolan North has said this is one of the coolest credits he's ever gotten on any project. I mean, for some reason, getting the and is better than top build. I It's so cool to be like, and by the way, you're right. That was Nolan North. <laughs> like, it's so cool. Yeah. But uh, I just, this performance is haunting. <laughs> Particularly after, like, you know, he's, Uncharted 3 had just come out previously. So it's three entries of Nathan Drake, this suave playboy hero who goes from 5'11 to 6'2 between a couple of the games. <laughs> the Johnny Knoxville slash Brendan Fraser from the mummy character, just lovable, laughable, livable, all that shit to David who is the creepiest motherfucker on earth. James runs off quickly to go get the meds, so David and Ellie are left alone. Ellie takes David's rifle and makes them move inside the cabins, where Ellie, at gunpoint, tells David to carry the deer carcass in with them. And that deer's easily like 300 pounds. Oh, it's a full-sized male deer. Like, it's got antlers, so he has to drag it by the antlers. Yeah. David makes a small fire and starts chatting Ellie up because he's like, well, we're going to be here for a while, so let's kill some time. And Ellie's like, absolutely not. I would like to kill you. David is concerned about Ellie being on her own, but she says she doesn't like company. He's gentle with her. He says he can see she cares about whoever's hurt and that obviously, you know, if she's willing to give up this whole deer for penicillin. He asks her name, but she doesn't tell him. While they sit and rest, a clicker comes in and runs at Ellie. As the clicker moves towards her, David pulls out his second gun and shoots the clicker down. Ellie goes, you have a second gun? But it's too late to argue. The cabin is being attacked by infected, pulling apart at the boards that are posted up on the windows to get in. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame David for that one, to be real. Yeah, but it's also, I feel like Ellie picks this up from Joel, where someone shoots someone to save her, and she just has criticism for them. <laughs> it's a little Joel being like, well, I'm glad I didn't get my head blown off by a goddamn kid. Thank you for saving my life, you right. know? They start shooting as all these infected start coming in on them, and David's actually pretty impressed, because he says that she's a better shot than he is, which is true. David is a useless fucking partner in these scenes. She can handle that fucking rifle. Oh, yeah. She's... Shot more than rats with BBs now. Yeah. Ellie tries really hard not to bond with this strange man and still goes out of her way not to say what her name is. Good. The hordes of infected come down on them in waves. And David says, screw it. We can't just stay here. Let's run to safety. He kicks his way deeper into one of the buildings and David and Ellie leave the deer behind, running away from the infected, now working together. Ellie at least has a permanife, which is, you know... Good because she's always prepared in the apocalypse, unlike Joel. So <laughs> she is <laughs> able to really hold her own, even though because you start as Ellie here, you don't have the power ups, you don't have the boosters, you don't have any of the equipment Joel had. So kind of start from scratch in this act of the game. And you're like a 14 year old child on top of all of that. You are a 14 year old child. <sighs> Together, David and Ellie go up against countless infected runners and clickers and even a few bloaters in this town. Like they actually. They go the fuck through it. No, they have an impressive battle. A couple battles. It's, a, it's like three or four different set pieces they have to manage. Yeah. The infected have a complete chokehold on this area. Once they get through these hordes, David calls out how quiet it is. And like, I think we got them all. They did it. David compliments Ellie on how well she did. And she's like, we got lucky. <laughs> she's so Joel in this little moment. David says, no, no, it's, it's not luck. Everything happens for a reason. 
and I can prove it to you. He tells her that the winter has been particularly cruel. And a few weeks back, he sent a group of men out to a nearby town to look for food. But only a few of them came back. They said that the others were slaughtered by a crazy man who was traveling with a little girl. He says, you see, everything happens for a reason. Oh, it's so fucked up. And it's so scary for her to start like kind of putting all the pieces together of his story. Of like, oh, I definitely shot a bunch of your dudes at the University of Eastern Colorado. Oh, no, my past has come back to haunt me immediately. And like the heavy foreshadowing of a group of people who are angry at Joel for killing an innocent person. Ugh, just another survivor. Yeah. Ellie moves fast and brings the rifle back up to point at David. David looks past her and says, James, lower the gun. James is behind Ellie with a pistol aimed at her head. David tells James to give her the medicine. Ellie carefully grabs the penicillin, tells James to get the fuck out of the way, and she backs up to leave. David says she won't last long and that he can protect her, but she says, no thanks, and runs off. She dashes out alone into the cold until she finds her horse and rides the fuck out of there before they can follow her. Yeah, it is so horrific to see her put it all together and to know that when James and David walked up on them, they were like, there's no way that's not the little girl that killed yeah. like all of these people that we sent out. Totally. But one of the things, I guess, if you don't want to know what happens in The Last of Us 2, skip forward about 45 seconds. But it is a preview of the shit and horror that Abby grew up listening to about mm -hmm. Joel. Entirely. Like, and experienced at the hands of Joel. Yeah. We witnessed this through this character of him saying, like, there's a monster out there slaughtering my men. Traveling with a little girl. And Abby grew up with that same story. Entirely. And she saw it firsthand when they had to carry the corpse of her father out. Yeah. I mean, that would dedicate a person to, you know, making sure that they are strong enough to never have to worry about that monster. Absolutely. He's literally the fucking Baba Yaga. <laughs> like, he is John Wick. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to tie too much to Last of Us 2. So let's go back without spoiling anything. Ellie rides back to the secluded house that she and Joel have been holed up in and brings the horse into the garage and shuts it. She knows she's personally killed David's men back at the Colorado campus and does not want to risk them getting a hold of her for vengeance. So, like, let's close the horse in. Joel is laying on a mattress on the floor of the basement, barely alive. He's covered in blankets, and Ellie talks to him, showing him the penicillin. She clearly gave him stitches where he was impaled because they're kind of janky, and begins shooting penicillin directly into this wound. The fact that this works is beyond me. I don't really know how penicillin works. I'm not going to knock him for it. Yeah, and neither does fucking Ellie. She doesn't know how much to give him. She doesn't know where to put it. Um, actually, in Ellie's backstory, it was said that in her military school, one of her jobs was to stitch up Fedra soldiers. Really? So she has had some medical training. Neil has confirmed this, but it's not in this project or in the DLC. It's kind of in this, like, loose board he has of Ellie's <laughs> shit. So... She could kind of know what she's doing. Her character Bible says so. Yeah, even though it's not confirmed hard anywhere. Okay. He also said that he has a story for the scar that Ellie has across her eyebrow. Okay. And that it did happen prior to the events of Left Behind. Okay. So something horrible happened to her before she got bit, and she has this huge scar across her eye, which honestly looks really fucking cool. I was going to say, not all scars are for something horrifying. Yeah. What if she was like... I don't know, jumping a fence and <laughs> ripped her face open a little bit. Yeah. Who knows? She's a little scamp. 
But so Ellie, ha- I apologize to bring it back. Ellie does have some medical training that Neil Druckmann has confirmed. Okay, good for her. As she shoots Joel loosely with penicillin that she found. He- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but also, you want to hear the irony of this. Penicillin comes from fungus. Oh my God, are you serious? Yes. Jesus Christ. Penicillin comes from fungus and it's going to save him. When That's, fungus destroy the fucking world. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I'm so upset by that. I love that irony. That is great. No, that is fantastic. As Ellie's pushing this fungus juice into Joel, which is the opposite of the entire fucking game, <laughs> he does wince a little bit to show that he's alive, but honestly, he is barely alive. Oh, he's hanging on by a thread. Ellie tells him he's going to make it, and then she falls asleep on the ground next to him. In the morning, Ellie gets up and through the window, she sees David's men searching the houses on the block for her. They're like, I think we saw the horse go this way. Let's fucking get her. Because obviously vengeance. Yeah. She looks down at Joel saying that she's going to draw them away and that she'll be back for him. He like barely nods. He is completely on his deathbed right now. Yeah. And that's something that Joel's going to need to teach her in the future is how to cover your tracks when you're being chased by somebody. Yeah. The snow is... Not particularly forgiving. No, especially when you're on horseback. Yeah, come on. Ellie sneaks out of the house quietly and hops on her horse to bring them away. As she starts leaving, one of the men grab her on the horse. Oof. Ellie stabs the guy in the neck, but David's men see her and they're like, he wants her alive, but fuck it. And then they start shooting at her because this bitch keeps killing their friends (laughs) and she's 14. Hell yeah. They leap from the ground onto her horse to, like, try and pull her off while she's riding away. And she's, like, screaming. And she's, like, fuck you guys. And they're, like, kill the child. (laughs) And she's also, like, trying to draw them just farther and farther away from the house that Joel is in, obviously, to keep him safe. Yeah. One of David's men manages to shoot Callus the horse while she's riding him. And the horse dies. And she goes flying down a hill. Ugh. Never the fucking horse. I know. It's fucked. Horses just do not have great fates in video games, I'm finding out. No, it's a it's a bad world for a horse girl. Yeah. Ellie lands and goes, oh, shit, and then has to go full stealth to get away from all these motherfuckers. There's a bunch of cabins because it's clearly like a mountain resort near some water. Maybe there's like a lake right there and she can hide in and run through. And she's like, holy shit, I got to get away from these people. And she starts edging closer towards a mountain resort. A mountain resort like a ski resort? No, it's it's kind of like near a lake. I can't. I, there's not a ton of ski stuff, but I guess lodgy cabins and shit. Okay, maybe like a country club. Maybe a country club. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Ellie can hear David's men talking about her. That she's the girl from the university that killed so many men. That David wants her alive, but they personally are still very grouchy about all the murders. Okay, so from the university. So these are the raiders that came while they were in the university. Yeah, this is exactly the same people from Colorado that she thought they were. And she's like, God damn it. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Ellie's got limited ammo and a bow and a knife. But in real life, Ashley Johnson is actually really good with a bow and arrow. So she'd be fine. Hell yeah. She's a regular Katniss Everdeen. Yeah. Ashley Johnson actually did, like, train in archery and became quite a skillful archer in anticipation of The Last of Us Part Two. Good for her. Hell yeah. I mean, the bow and arrow is, like, Ellie's classic weapon, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I love archery. Yeah. I've done it a couple times, but every time I've had a really good time. 
And I have a little natural talent at it, not gonna lie. Well, I was saying this too when I was playing Ghost of Tsushima on our Twitch stream. I'm like, I love video games that you use a bow and arrow, except for Overwatch with Hanzo. <laughs> <laughs> Hanzo does suck. It's like not a fun character to play. Yeah. I'm just not good at him, and I miss Scatter Arrow. Like, if I got him in Mystery Hero, I'm like, well, I can do Scatter Arrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one trick, but like, it is what it is. Right. I'm a somber and Torb main, so <laughs> I guess I'm kind of a troll, though. That's right. not a great character set that I have, but it's fine. Everything's fine. Ellie makes her way into a resort, and as she does, David jumps her. He puts his arm around her neck and tells her to calm down and tells her that he's saving her. Ellie passes out in his arms. Uh, <laughs> you know, unless you are asking to be saved, there is no reason to save somebody. Right. <laughs> Don't just say I'm saving you. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Ellie wakes up in a cage and watches on as she sees a man cut the arm off of a corpse to prepare for dinner. I mean, we started in a cage, and now we are watching a human getting butchered. Yes, this is bad. It's as bad as it can get. Ellie is horrified and starts looking for a way out. David comes into the room with a tray of stew for her and slides it under the bars of the cage. He tells her she should eat and that he knows she's hungry. She asks what it's made of, and he tells her it's just deer. She asks if there's any human meat on the side, and he goes, it's just deer. She calls him a fucking animal and then starts eating because it's true. She hasn't eaten in a while. Yeah. She probably hasn't had meat in ages. Yeah. He tells Ellie they don't have a choice and that Ellie has killed to survive and they've done the same thing. Ellie's like, so now what? You going to cut me up into tiny little pieces? David said he'd rather not. And then he asks for her name again. David's like, you know what? To be honest, everyone's really upset with you because of all the murders. You have to show to these people that you're good and convince them that they shouldn't kill you. He reaches over and calls Ellie special and puts his hand over hers on the bars of the cage. Ugh, and not in like anything other than a creepy way. Ellie meets his hand and breaks his thumb over the bars. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. She reaches for his keys while he's wincing in pain, and he yanks back and drags her up on the bars to, like, pull her up and hurt her and get his thumb back. Oh, yeah. No, he fucking hits her hard. Yeah. He tells her she's a stupid little girl. <laughs> he, like, looks at his broken finger, and he's like, what am I supposed to tell the others? Ellie says, Ellie, tell them Ellie is the little girl who broke your fucking finger. Oh, my God. In every instance of this line, it is beautiful. It's the baddest bitch shit. Oh, and every delivery of it. I'm saying that just because in the show and in the game is fucking awesome. Oh, it's so gratifying. Both Ashley and Bella perform this scene in the perfect way. Facts. David says, how'd you put it? Tiny little pieces. And he walks away to leave her there in the cage. Fucking haunting. Ah, oh, it's so scary. And, you know, one of the big differences between the game and the HBO show is subtlety. Yeah. Now, you know, in the Bill parts, Bill's very gay. We hear a lot more about Bill's story. They're not as subtle. In the game, it is a little more subtle that Bill is queer and had a partner that they broke up and there was some betrayal there or whatever. In this storyline, there is a David in the show, and he's very outwardly creepy. He, like, slaps a little girl, and that's our introduction, and it's not even Ellie. It's some other bitch. Right. And then he, like, clearly has some sort of fascination 
inappropriately with Ellie. Yeah. Well, the little girl that he slapped, her dad was killed by Joel in Colorado. Right. And then they were eating his body. Yes. They were eating his fucking body and they just told everybody that it was venison. Ugh. So in the show, that David is just really outwardly a creep and an asshole and so slimy. And Nolan North's David in the game is a little more subtle in how he's creepy. He's trying to be gentle. He's trying to sell Ellie on being like, I can keep you safe. I can keep you here. Where in the show, he's like, we can rule together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a fucking weird thing to do. But it just, the HBO show just amps it up a notch since you're not so internally intimate with these characters. You know what I mean? True. Across town, Joel wakes up alone in the house and he knows Ellie's been gone way too long. She must be in trouble. He moseys up the strength, gears up, and is like, I have to go find her. But he's still not great because, you know, he was recently impaled. So he's stumbling out of the house and he's like, shit, she is gone and the horse is gone. Something horrible has happened. I mean, he's full of fungus juice now, so he is ready to go. Yeah, (laughs) the fungus is protecting him in this one instance. (laughs) Outside of the house, Joel runs into David's men who are still patrolling, looking for him specifically now that they have Ellie. David hasn't said shit about keeping Joel alive, too. So they're like, we are looking forward to killing this dude to avenge our dead friends. Right. They don't need the old man. Yeah. They're like, that psychopath should die. You can convert a child. Yeah. Joel kills these fuckers and follows the same path of blood and bodies that Ellie has left for him. You know, like breadcrumbs. (laughs) He's eventually jumped by the wrong two motherfuckers and takes them into a house, ties one to a chair, and starts wailing on the other one, beating him to a pulp. Joel goes up to the one in the chair. He says, the little girl, is she alive? The guy in the chair says, he doesn't know a little girl. Joel takes out a knife and stabs him in the knee right under the kneecap. Oh, my God. The guy suddenly remembers <laughs> and says she's alive, that she's David's newest pet. Pet. It's disgusting that he says his newest pet, and that makes me so angry. Because the implication is that is not the first one he's had. Yeah, And the word pet does not imply a consensual relationship. No. Which is obviously more heightened in the HBO show, like I said. Right. Joel brings up a map of the area and tells him to point at the spot on the map where Ellie is. And it better be the same place on the map the other guy points to. And then Joel kills him. (laughs) Joel goes over to the guy crumpled on the ground. He says the other guy told him what he needs. Joel says, I know. I trust that guy. And then he finishes the guy on the ground. Joel is so fucking brutal. So the guy in the chair is played by Nolan North, but they had to ADR his lines because it sounded too much like Nathan Drake. That's so great. Which is exactly what Neil didn't want. He didn't want Nathan Drake to show up in this world and be too, like, fourth wall breaking or anything for anyone. And it's it'd be too hard to see Joel Miller viciously murder Nathan Drake before Uncharted 4 comes out. That would be a little (laughs) bit of a sour note for people, I think. Yeah, people wouldn't digest it well. It wouldn't go as well as Trevor killing the main character of a, another video game in Grand Theft Auto V. Oh, right. That's <laughs> the opening. Yeah. <laughs> At the campsite, Ellie is pulled out of her cage and being held down by David and James as they go to cut her into tiny little pieces. Ugh. Ellie's like, stop, stop. I'm infected. David's like, what? Sees her bite mark. And then Ellie says, what'd you say? Everything happens for a reason. Oh, this scares the ever living shit out of David and James. And Ellie takes this opportunity to kick and take the knife they were going to use to kill her and kill James. Ugh. 
It's so good, too. I mean, this is like a fucking hatchet. Yeah. She's able to kind of cause enough commotion to run through a window and escape into the snowy, misty town. David's men are crawling the streets looking for Ellie immediately, who is like, God damn it, I fucking hate this place. And she starts stabbing a bunch of them and making her way towards a restaurant where she hides. It's wild, too, because while you're crawling around, you can hear the men be like, we need a fucking vote for leadership. <laughs> you can hear them complaining about like the localized economy and like fucking council and shit. And they're like, David's not it, y'all. We need to have another fucking vote because this sucks. He likes little kids a little too much. Yeah, this is weird. While she's in the restaurant, David follows her inside and lets it be known that now it's just the two of them again. He tells her he knows that she's not infected because no one that's infected fights this hard to stay alive. This part fucking sucks. Yeah, you were having a hard time with this one. It sucks. This restaurant has some open burners and a few small fires breaking out through it. But overall, the restaurant is dark and huge and has broken plates everywhere that make noise as Ellie sneaks around. There's so much broken fucking china on the ground. It's just an Applebee's. We're in a goddamn Applebee's and all the fucking shit on the walls has fallen over and it makes noise and... This section is really hard. Ellie has to stealth roll up on David, I think like three times to finally overtake him. Yeah. And David's AI is so much more heightened than the other AI and the enemies you encounter in this game. Like you can make the tiniest noise or he can catch you moving out of the corner of his eye and he sprints for you. Yeah. It fucking sucks. I had some trouble with this and I got frustrated. Then you were like, just strategically try something. And I did and it was fine, but whatever. The restaurant's fire rages on and fills the air with smoke as Ellie finally gets the final stealth roll up on him to overtake him. But once she does overtake him, he flips her over and they both hit their heads and collapse, both filling with smoke and passing out and just pain and passing out. As they get concussed in this smoke-filled Applebee's, right. Joel makes his way into David's town. He hears the men looking for the little girl, but no one knows Joel is there because he's killed everyone he's seen so far. <laughs> Joel murders his way through whatever men haven't been murdered by Ellie yet and comes up on a burning restaurant and just instinctually knows that's where Ellie is. Yeah, right. He sees a fire and he's like, fucking Ellie. There's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie is passed out on the floor of the restaurant after David flung her around like a rag doll. She has the wind knocked out of her, but opens her eyes and looks around and sees a machete just a few feet away. She starts crawling towards it. She has no energy left. She can't even get on her knees. She's completely exhausted and she groans while she moves. As she gets closer to it, David kicks her. He says it's okay to give up. She doesn't respond, but she keeps crawling toward the knife. David says, guess not. It's not your style, is it? Kicks her again. He tells her she can try begging. She says, fuck you. David turns her over, gets on top of her, and starts choking her. He tells her she has no idea what he's capable of. Gosh, I mean, it is just, ugh. This it's disgusting. Guy goes to the depths of the worst type of villain. Ellie manages to get her fingers around the machete and stabs David. As he recoils, she flips him on his back, sits on him, and starts stabbing him. She stabs and she stabs and she stabs, and we hear the life escape David in one last gurgle. Oh. And she keeps stabbing after that. The scream that he lets out is just so blood curdling and mm. terrified. And mm. also 
has that sense of holy fuck she overtook me and I am dead. It's yeah, it's that fear with the wind getting knocked out of you that's so hard to manipulate. Like that speaks to Nolan North as a performer straight up like yeah. that is an ungodly noise you can only create in the worst circumstances. It's fear and surprise. Yeah. From behind, Joel comes up and he goes, Ellie, Ellie, it's okay, it's me, it's okay, baby girl, it's me. And for the first time since he lost Sarah, we hear him say, baby girl. Yeah. Ellie whimpers and she's so scared. She says, he tried to, Joel says, it's okay. And with that, Ellie knows she's safe with Joel again. Oh, it's so scary because when he comes and grabs her, she yells, don't touch me. Yeah. But like, it's just, she doesn't know what's going on and she's not expecting Joel. No, and once she realizes it's the only person who gives a shit about her in this world, she's like, oh my God, okay, we're good, we're good. Joel holds Ellie's face in his hands and he looks at her in the eyes and they're reunited and then they walk away. Mm. I mean, you need to walk away from that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and like, they were already going to vote out David anyway, so these guys are probably like, you know what? (laughs) Fuck it, let him go. He was already being impeached by his town. Yeah. They are like, the cannibal uh, party is really on the rocks right now. Yeah, I can't blame them. He was going to eat them, so. Yeah. Spring 2033. Goodness, it's been a full fucking year. Yeah. Ellie and Joel are on the outskirts of Salt Lake City, and Joel tells her that once they're done with all this... He'll teach Ellie how to play guitar. Ellie is distracted and distant and more melancholy than ever before. I mean, they're both different. Joel is a completely different fucking person now. Yeah. So, like, let's take this beat to look at them when we met them. Joel is dark. He's fucking pessimistic. He hates everything. He's a follower. He is just trying to get his back and get out. Doesn't really care for Ellie either. Now he's like, I'm going to teach you how to play guitar. We're going to braid each other's hair. We're going to have so much fun. For the first time, he's thinking after this is all over. Mm -hmm. And he's including her in that. Yeah. That was not an option to him earlier. Yeah. He very specifically said, once we're done with this, we're going to part ways and we're good. Yeah. He always expected the drop off and be done. But now he's like, no, we're together. This is you and me. And Ellie, on the other hand, was like curious. She's spunky. And now she's just sad and has killed so many people she's like what the fuck man she's looking around and wondering is this world even worth fucking saving and to remind you all she's 14 do you remember being 14 oh my god she's going through puberty she is hormones oh my lord she is having the worst fucking time this is the only girl that deserves to be emo right Ugh, poor girl anyway in this city it is Quiet, and the Fedra camps are empty, unused, abandoned. There's no sign of hunters or marauders or infected just yet. In their exploration, Ellie sees something magical and just wanders off. Joel's like, Ellie, Ellie, <laughs> where are you? What the fuck? And she's like, oh, my God, which is great because right up until then, she was like, what is life? Yeah. She what is meaning? Super emo. And now she has a spark of life back in her. As Joel comes up behind Ellie, he finally sees what actually distracted her and got her to, like, run off. And it's a fucking giraffe. A giraffe. It's such a magical moment. And it reminds me of, like, Jurassic Park with the long-necked dinosaur that they end up with in the tree and stuff. And they're, like, petting it. Yeah. 
They come up on a balcony and they see the giraffe just eating some leaves peacefully. The local zoo is obviously decrepit, so the animals have just been able to run wild and live their life in Salt Lake City. Joel goes up to this giraffe and starts giving him little pets. He brings Ellie over and Ellie also starts petting the giraffe. and They have this beautiful moment of just appreciating nature. The giraffe accepts their affection, finishes his little bite, and starts to wander off. Ellie dashes through the building to chase the giraffe around to keep her eyes on this, like, glorious animal, which she probably just never seen before in her life. Oh, my God. I'd be surprised if she knew the name of this animal. <laughs> Joel follows Ellie to this landing outside, and they look over the city. There's a pack of about six or seven giraffes in the distance wandering through an old baseball field. It's peaceful, and it's quiet, and it's calm, and it's kind of beautiful. And somewhere nearby, a zebra is trapped in the gate. <laughs> But we don't know that yet. <laughs> Joel asks Ellie if it's everything she was hoping for. She says, it's got its ups and downs. As he turns to leave, Joel says, hey, Ellie, we don't have to do this. We can go back to Tommy's and just be done with all this. Ellie says, after all they've been through and everything I've done, it can't be for nothing. She leaves and Joel is left to accept that she wants to do this, that she wants this trip to have meaning and all the pain and suffering they've gone through to have something at the end of it that was worth it all. Yeah, a lot of people have died. She doesn't want that to be in vain. Entirely. She's murdered so many grown men. Like, Yeah. Come on, girl. As they navigate the city, Ellie stops to hand Joel something. She says back in Jackson, she grabbed it and it's the picture that Tommy had excavated from the Miller home. Oh, the one of the soccer game. It's the one, yeah, it's the one that Tommy tried to give to Joel, but Joel said no. Ellie snatched it and hung on to it all this time. Here, Joel just says he can't escape his past, takes it from her, and thanks her for it. He has grown so much. I know. After this beautiful moment where we see a man who once denied his old life and ran from it, now accepting it in tandem with starting this new life as this new person, we run into a gang of infected down in abandoned freeway which include runners clickers and bloaters just all of the above because fuck you right <laughs> sweet moment horrible thing sweet moment horrible thing how that's many, the whole fucking game how many times have i said but this moment is interrupted by <laughs> bunch of horrible things yeah i think there's like two bloaters in this section right yes i was i died a couple times but i was like all right i'm gonna go into this really strategic because i went in like guns blazing like ah firebombs right I love a good firebomb. But I was like, I'm going to sneak around. I'm going to kill everyone until we're just the bloaters. And I'm going to get these motherfuckers. And you're like, go off. But then again, you followed up this double bloater kill and everything with move this ladder over here. We did. Yeah. And lean it against this wall and climb up it. <laughs> the infected horde drive Joel and Ellie deep into like the underground sewers of Salt Lake City. And they get swept up by some rushing water. Again, Ellie can't swim. So Joel pulls Ellie out of the water and she is completely passed out. So he's like, holy shit. And starts trying to pump her chest to get her to breathe again. He doesn't put his mouth on her because like CPR is kind of gross. But he does do like the right thing without putting his mouth on her. Well, the mouth to mouth part is actually no longer a part of CPR. Really? Yeah. There is no longer a breathing into somebody's mouth aspect to CPR. It is just a chest pump now. Oh. Joel does that. I yeah. don't know if they had that in 2013. I don't but... know when that changed. I think 2013 sounds right about the time that it did, though. Well, thank you for letting me know so I don't accidentally mouth breathe on someone who's dying. Yeah. 
as Joel is like trying to pump some air back into Ellie, some of the Firefly soldiers come up, guns pointed out at everyone. And he's been in this situation before. Yeah, and he kind of doesn't give a shit. He's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm. We're not infected. I. She's dying. I need to fucking help her." And they're like, "Put your hands up." And he's like, "Absolutely fucking not. I have to save this girl." Joel gets hit in the head by one of the Firefly soldiers as he's trying to revive Ellie, and everything goes black. Sometime later, Joel wakes up in a hospital bed with Marlene over him. Marlene. Marlene. From the early part of the game. Merle Dandridge, baby. And like, this part frustrated me. Yeah? How the fuck did Marlene get here? (laughs) Well, she didn't get impaled. No, she didn't. But also like, as we find out, her entire crew died on the way here. Yeah. She came with a grip of people and she is the sole survivor. Right. Marlene does stand over Joel and is like, welcome to the Fireflies. Joel asks about Ellie. She tells him she's fine. She's safe. She made it. Marlene asks how they made it across the nation, and Joel says it was all her. She fought like hell to be here. To your point, Marlene says she had a hard time. She lost almost everything getting across the country. But maybe it was all made to be. Joel asks to see Ellie, but Marlene says no. She's being prepped for surgery. That the cordyceps have mutated inside of her, and that's how she's immune. And they're going to take out the infection to study it and create a vaccine. Joel understands the logic, but says, but it grows all over the brain. Marlene agrees to this. Joel realizes that to create a vaccine, they're going to take Ellie's brain out of her head. And even a dumb man knows you don't do that. Even dumbass Joel is like, she can't live without a brain. (laughs) Joel tells Marlene to find someone else. Marlene is like, what the fuck? There is no one else. Yeah. That there's no other choice here. Joel does not like this. He says, you keep telling yourself that bullshit. Marlene has a gunman next to her, and she tells him to march Joel out of here. And if he tries to do anything, to shoot him. This was Merle Dandridge's audition scene with Troy Baker. And it's such a badass scene. Really? This is their audition scene? Yeah. Like, one their an interaction in the very back of the game. Yeah, this was their chemistry read. Right. Oh, that's great. They, they are not supposed to have too much chemistry. Right. <laughs> they're Clearly. anti-chemistry read. Yeah, there, there's, some, there's some tension here. The gunman tells Joel to get up so they can walk out of the hospital at gunpoint. Joel clocks where his backpack is and then stops walking. The gunman tells him to keep walking, but Joel turns around and punches him out and throws him up against the wall. Joel asks where the operating room is. Before the guy can say anything, Joel says... I ain't got time for this, and shoots him in the dick. Oh. He shoots him a second time in the dick, and the gunman tells Joel where the operating room is. Now Joel has his whole backpack and weapons and all of his shit, and he has to make it back to the operating room to grab Ellie. And like I said earlier, Joel has grown so much through the course of this game, and we just had a huge backslide here. He sees uh, Marlene. He's just back in Boston like, all right, let's shoot some people in the dick again. Fucking rage monster Joel. I think I told you I was finished the game in one night where I got through like probably a third of the game in one sitting. And the next day, because you went to bed at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to stay up. I got this. Yeah. I was like, do you remember Joel shooting someone in the dick? And you were like, no, that's that's like some 13 year old shit. Yeah. What? And I was like, yeah, he shoots this guy in the dick twice. <laughs> You're like, Why? He's 50. And I was like, I know. Is it Deadeye and Andrea's playing? (laughs) Me shooting Micah in the dick in Red Dead just nonstop. Yeah, basically. So now Joel's got all his shit back. He's out here to get Ellie. 
And the other fireflies notice that gunman's dead and bleeding out from the dick, so they're on high alert for Joel. Joel kills his way through multiple wings of this hospital as fireflies try to stop him so they can harvest Ellie's brain for a cure to the fucking worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. It's fucking wild. And I mean, to Joel's credit, too, we heard him say this earlier in the game as well, like right at the beginning when he was talking with Tess, like, we've heard about these cures before. There's been plenty of rumors of like, oh, we finally found the thing. But also now he is being threatened with taking away the one person he fucking swore he wouldn't care about. Yeah. And now he cares about her. And as a result, he is going to murder everybody in order to keep her safe. Well, she is now the only thing he cares about. Yeah. You know? He doesn't even care about Tommy that much. I know. (laughs) He kind of couldn't give a shit about Tommy. Yeah. Joel kills his way to the surgical ward and comes into the room, guns blazing. There are three people in the room prepped for surgery, all in green scrubs, which is not canonical to Last of Us 2, but you know, never. <laughs> One surgeon, the head surgeon, a man we now know as Jerry Anderson, picks up a scalpel and points it at Joel, who is holding a gun at his head. I mean, it's the only weapon he's got within yeah, reach. Yeah. There are two other nurses backing up against the doors. Now, you can kill... Jerry, however you want. (laughs) I actually, in the PS5 version, I walked up to him holding my flamethrower. And when I got up to him, there's a triangle prompt. And it didn't say what it did, but I hit it. And Joel grabs the scalpel out of Jerry's hand and stabs him in the neck with it. Oh, my God. Which is so much darker to kill him with the thing he was trying to point at to protect himself with. Yeah. In my original playthroughs in the 2014 remaster, I think I usually went flamethrower because I fucking love the flamethrower. Right. Uh, you can leave the other two nurses alive or kill them. It doesn't really matter. And TV show, he just walks in and pops them in the forehead. Yeah. It, they have to have a canonical version of that for obvious reasons in season two. But in this scene as well, one of the nurses is played by our friend who I mentioned a couple times, Laura Bailey. It is. And actually, this scene was the very first time that Neil Druckmann actually worked with her. Like, she'd only done voiceover work earlier. This was the first time he worked with her, like, in body form. It was mocap, With right? mocap and everything, and he fell so head over heels for her performance as a voiceless nurse that he said, you will be one of the main characters in the next game. And she was. And she was. <laughs> she is the other protagonist in The Last of Us Part Two, which is fucking incredible. And Laura Bailey is not plucked out of obscurity. She is a very, very, very talented performer. And yeah. Her Abby performance for the sequel has garnered incredible amounts of awards and nominations and everything. She is brilliant as Abby. And she, just like Merle Dandridge, who we just saw earlier, got to bring these characters over to the TV show. And she does play one of the nurses in this scene in the HBO show. Yeah, she gets to play her exact same character in the TV show that she did in real life. Yeah, so in the last episode, we get the two performers that come from the game reprising their roles, which is kind of cool. Yeah. With Marlene and named nurse. Yeah, unnamed nurse. Unnamed nurse. nurse. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to think of a fun name for her. Couldn't get there. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But Joel looks down, sees Ellie in a full surgical gown, scoops her up, pulls her out of all the machines, and says, I got you. I got you. Joel carries Ellie through the hospital, and she lays limp in his arms, unaware of her second chance at life. She is obviously just under all the drugs, about to literally be cut open. But, like, opening the game with him carrying his daughter and then closing the game with him carrying his daughter, but very different outcomes. He can finally save this one. This is, like, this is Andrew Garfield saving (laughs) Zendaya at the end of No Way Home. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's that redemption moment of, like, no, 
the last time this happened, I fucking failed. I'm not failing this time. I will burn down the entire world to not let it happen again. Entirely. She is passed out, but he is still talking to her, telling her he's getting her out of here, that he's got her, that it's going to be okay. He keeps telling Ellie, knowing she's unconscious, that she is safe because he needs her to know that. Fireflies are shooting at them, saying, can you please leave the cure to mankind behind with you? Right. Please stop. (laughs) Please, please stop. But it's not enough. Joel runs through the halls, takes an elevator down towards the parking lot to get out of the building. He's leaving the elevator in the parking lot and is met by Marlene, gun drawn. She says, what's the plan, Joel? What, What are you doing now? Is this what you want? Is this what she wants? I don't think this is what she wants. How long until she's torn apart by clickers? How long until she's raped and murdered and abused and tortured in this world like we all are? She can leave now and leave behind a vaccine and like just this whole thing. This is this is what she'd want. And you know it. Marlene is holding her gun, but she slowly starts raising her arm up, pointing the gun away to show that she doesn't want to hurt anyone. She tells Joel he can still do the right thing. She tells Joel that Ellie won't feel anything. Oh, my God. But Joel will. We cut to Joel driving away with Ellie in the backseat of a car, dazed and confused. Ellie stirs awake, groaning through the anesthesia and says, The hell am I wearing? Why am I wearing paper? Joel says, hey, take it easy. The drugs are wearing off. Ellie says, what happened? Joel is quiet. And then he says, they found the fireflies. It turns out there's a whole lot of people like Ellie. Immune people. Dozens of them. And they've stopped looking for a cure. In a cutscene, as Joel describes this to Ellie, we see him looking at Marlene and shooting her down in the parking lot. Oof. We see Joel put Ellie in the back of the car. We see Marlene reach out and say, Please let me go. Joel says, you'll just come after her and puts a final bullet in her, ending the lineage of this era of the fireflies. God damn. Joel tells Ellie he's taking them home and off to Jackson they go. Sometime later, because Jackson's pretty far from Salt Lake City. Right. Joel and Ellie get out of the car and walk down towards Jackson to Tommy and Maria's compound. We play as Ellie again, and she follows Joel through a part of the forest as they make it down to safety. Joel jogs down the path toward Jackson and tells Ellie that he and Sarah used to take hikes like this. That he thinks Ellie and Sarah would have really gotten along. They get to the top of a hill and look down at the city of Jackson. The walls of the city guard a fully functioning town with electricity, community, farms. Just down this hill is civilization and a future. A safe future. Joel pulls Ellie up to a ledge so they can continue their journey. But Ellie stops him before they keep going and says, wait, back in Boston, when I was bitten, I wasn't alone. My best friend was there and she got bit too. We didn't know what to do. So we said, let's wait it out and we can be all poetic and lose our minds together. And I'm still waiting for my turn. Joel interrupts to comfort her and says, Ellie. Ellie continues that everyone dies and her name was Riley and she was the first. Then Tess. Then Sam. Joel says he struggles with surviving too, but you have to keep finding something to fight for as he talks to his reason for fighting. She interrupts him and she says, Swear to me. Swear to me everything you said about the fireflies is true. Joel doesn't hesitate and he looks her in the eyes and says, I swear. Ellie takes this in 
She breathes in this moment to accept what he says. And she says, okay. And Mm. the game cuts to black. And that okay weighs a thousand pounds. The way that he doesn't hesitate and just goes, absolutely. Dozens of immune people. They didn't need you. They gave up. I mean, that's when you know he's a real parent when he starts lying to his kids. Oh, my God, Dom. What? It's true. You have to protect them. And sometimes to protect them, you have to lie. Holy shit. It's so dark. It and is. It's a, such a controversial ending. And honestly, mm-hmm. I've gone back and forth on how I feel about it. That's right. The first time you play this, you're like, that's horse shit. He lied to her. Yeah. And like, I went on a rant in our Last of Us 2 episode, and I, I would say I'm not very nice about Joel in this situation. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say, though, is that Neil Druckmann has done like countless questionnaires on how did people feel about this moment. Yeah. And he said 100% of parents agreed with Joel. Wow, that is chilling. Holy shit. Non-parents were always split (laughs) 50-50. The childless are like, this guy's a dick. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, as a childless adult, I guess I did not agree with what he had to say. But the fact that parents 100% across the board have always agreed. And the other thing, too, is Neil Druckmann, he asked his dad about a certain situation that occurred in Israel one time. Mm-hmm. There was this soldier who was taken captive by a foreign country and their prime minister negotiated to release like a hundred prisoners they had for this one prisoner. Holy shit. And Neil asked his dad, do you think that was the right call? And he said, as the prime minister of Israel, that was one of the dumbest calls I could have possibly made. <laughs> as a father, I would have burned the entire fucking country down to get my son back. Holy shit. And Neil was like, I have an idea for a game. Yeah. No, that's wow. why he had Joel make that decision. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to see how he just pulled from his life and the people around him to craft this story. Yeah, that's beautiful. Including the actors and everything. So, yeah, agree with Joel, disagree with Joel. You know, it's this very, very specific situation that Ellie found herself in as a literal newborn. Right. That granted her this immunity. It has nothing to do, like, it's not because she's super special. She didn't, like, evolve to be immune to it or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. She had a freak thing happen that caused her to be immune. And could they have pulled from it? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, absolutely. But holy shit. Ooh, I love this game. But... Truly, I just want to play two now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. God damn. But yeah, no, the puzzling and that gameplay element does drag a little bit. And there's a lot less of that in two. I think two is just such a compelling, well-written story. And not that this isn't. I think this is absolutely really well done. It's a masterpiece. I love the HBO series. I think it does it absolute justice. And I'm so excited to see the next season, which is not going to start for a very long time between season one and two. But yeah, especially with the writer's strike going. The writer's strike. Everyone's busy. Pedro's on this like world tour of being the hottest man in the world. Like, (laughs) you know, it's a whole thing. But thank you so much if you stuck with us this long talking about The Last of Us. I greatly appreciate it. I had a fabulous time with our co-host, Tom. Well, you did an amazing job leading us through that, as you did with The Last of Us 2. Thank you. You know, Last of Us 2, I think, is my favorite episode that you've done. Really? I love that one, yeah. Oh, thank you. You like that more than Dead Space? Yeah, I love, love, love (laughs) the way you took us through The Last of Us 2, and I think this one is actually going to top that for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I just say Dead Space because I know you yelled at me in the last part of that for 
holding out on some secrets. <laughs> <laughs> that was but, a great one. But I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. Now, if you listen to this, you have some opinions. You want to yell at us about Joel and Ellie. You want to um actually something. Again, our Discord is open and we would love to chat with you. That is linked in the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's in like the description, all that good stuff. You can also find out how to get there through our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. If you also want to hang out with us and maybe ask us questions or just get to know us a little bit better, we do stream on Fridays on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash theothercastlepodcast. Right now, we should be in a Ghost of Tsushima run. Yes. Getting towards the back half of that game. But, you know, hop on. We talked about our favorite ghost movies one day. I talked about if maybe my dad's the Zodiac Killer. (laughs) Who knows? I don't. (laughs) we get weird with it so if you want to just hang out and chat with us we are always down we are accessible and we love talking about video games yeah and we always upload those to our youtube page afterwards as well yeah so you can always have kind of extended versions and we also talk about like oh this part of this game was inspired by xyz and stuff so it's kind of like a hyper long version of this yeah poorly organized (laughs) because we're just having fun and you know playing video games together but anyway thank you all so much again discord youtube if you want more content like to hear us talk about the left behind dlc that's all on our patreon and everything's linked through our website theothercastlepodcast.com once again that's theothercastlepodcast.com but thank you so much we appreciate you endure and survive and when you're in the dark look for the light oh that's very good thank you so much goombas thank you for picking us up in the middle of our off season and we will be back very soon with season seven actually we're gonna have one more of these off-season episodes coming here in a little bit. Another remake? Another remake. Would you kindly drop a hint? You just did. Damn. Take a shot. All right. Thank you, everyone. And this is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Bye. Bye.